0: Our level of success is always going to parallel our level of personal development. A quote from Hal Elrod's book, The Miracle Morning. Join me and Hal for a conversation that will illuminate the power that comes with taking personal responsibility. In this episode, you'll learn how to start feeling your emotions instead of bypassing them. Why you cannot get what you want without first accepting where you are, even if that means accepting the hard shit, how to be fully present with yourself during difficult times, and deeper context as to why the miracle morning really works. Hal and I also talk about ways that you can help prevent dis-ease in your mind and body. First and foremost, Hal Elrod is a family man. He's a loyal husband to his wife of 13 years and a dedicated father to their two children. His mission in life is to fulfill his potential while helping as many people as possible to do the same. After surviving multiple near-death experiences and impacting millions of people through his books and speeches, Hal is on a mission to elevate the consciousness of humanity one morning at a time. As the author of 12 books, most notably The Miracle Morning, which is translated into 37 languages and has sold over 3 million copies, he is doing exactly that. When Hal is not with his family, he's sharing his message as an author and keynote speaker. He's also appeared on the Today Show. He's been featured in Success Magazine and has written for entrepreneur.com. Hal's latest projects are the new and free Miracle Morning app, Grab the App Today, and the Miracle Morning movie, which you have to, I'm just warning you, have the Kleenex ready. It's a documentary that shows you how millions of people are transforming their lives by simply changing how they start their day. Now Hal and I have known each other since 2015 and I can tell you he is nothing short of a miracle. From surviving a car crash that no one would ever think someone could survive to surviving a rare form of cancer, He has overcome so much and can still stand before you today as one of the most positive, hopeful people you will ever meet in your life. And there is a good reason for that. We drop into a conversation that is going to take you beyond the hokey principles of morning rituals and into the actual context of why these specific rituals, as mentioned in his book, work. So make sure you tune in. We also talk a lot about the health industry and the truth about what's going on in personal development. This is a really, really great episode. And I feel like Hal and I covered a lot of ground. So buckle up because we're about to take you on a journey. Now, whether you are a loyal listener or brand new to the podcast, please, as always, take a moment to download a few episodes and drop a rating and review on iTunes. And now let's move on to a illuminating conversation on personal responsibility and miracles with the one and only Hal Elrod. Beyond the narrative, underneath the veil of illusion, and deep within your center, therein lies potent truth. Welcome to Potent Truth, where today's leaders, changemakers, and light carriers come together to question the narrative, arrive at potent truth, and lead with sovereignty. What is potency? It's who you are beneath the masks, facades, and protective gear. It's the medicine humanity yearns for, cries out for, prays for, and needs. Your potency is what sets you apart, magnetizes your following, and creates movements. Join me, Ruby Frayman, for weekly guidance, channeled messages, and potent conversations that will take you on a journey of self-discovery. I am here to guide you to a place of unraveling the programming that's been keeping us stuck for generations, unlocking potent truth and expressing it through sovereign leadership. It's time for change. It's time for potent truth. So I don't know if you remember when we first met.
1: Archangel? Archangel? Yeah, but do you remember what year? No.
0: 2015.
1: 2015. (laughs) <laughs> it'll, be eight, it'll be eight years this year.
0: That was like baby Ruby in the coaching industry. Cause I had just started coaching in 2014 Yeah, and I was invited on scholarship to Archangel nice. by Gio. I think okay. he gave out like a couple of scholarships and I got one. Nice. Felt like I was way out of my league, mm. met a lot of people, but didn't connect with a lot of people, but we connected cause we had lunch one day. And I think I sat at your table and I still remember this to the day. We were talking about you writing your book mm. and you were like, I'm going to give you the number one piece of advice on writing a book yeah. that I wish someone told me. And I was like, Hey, what is it? And he said, you turn your screen way off. <laughs> Don't look at what you're typing and yeah. just type. Yeah. And I was like, okay, that's really interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, turn the but, brightness all the way off. Right, it, yeah, yeah.
0: But you know, like I did actually do some of that practice yeah, yeah. when I was writing my book yeah. years later. So thank you. Did
1: I tell you that came from? Or, so do you know AJ Yeager? No. So he's here in Austin. But, yeah. Uh, anyway, that, yeah, so he taught me that. He wrote his first book when he was 16. And oh, he, wow. he learned that at, at 16, he taught I was I was probably like 19 when he taught that to me.
0: Wow. But, yeah, yeah. Wow. That's cool. So yeah, it's been, it's been a while. And, you know, I know you, and I know a lot of people in my audience know you, a lot of people listening and watching know you, but there's also parts of you that I feel people don't really fully know. Sure. And I wanna start with um, the trauma informed definition of resilience. Okay. Okay? All right. Because I see you as someone who is incredibly resilient and I believe that everyone has resilience in them, but it's a muscle. We have sure. to develop it. Yeah, I agree. And so the actual definition from a trauma-informed perspective is, resilience is defined as the innate capacity of a human to return to its original inner state or expression. Mm. Resiliency is built when the individual has access to proper resources and support. So you have been through a lot in your life and i know that there's been specific traumas and or i like to call them initiation points and through each one it seems like you've been able to rise even higher into your calling and i'm curious to know what is your personal relationship to your own resilience
1: Mm. yeah uh it's interesting so something you said there in the definition uh it was the 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 second part of it where you said something about it you know that it's built when people have the resources Mm -hmm. that they need right yeah and that's a distinction that i actually on a during a plant medicine ceremony that like came through me uh or to me was that um You know how I have I being you know God I I have put you through these experiences for your purpose so that you can influence other people serve other people help other people, Um, but if you notice he said um, I've always given you every I've made it very difficult Mm -hmm. but. Kind of goes back to that Bible quote that you know I never give you anything God can't won't give you anything you can't handle right yeah and he goes I've given you, but I've given you all the resources that you needed mm-hmm. to get through all of them in terms of people in terms of mental models right right you know the right mentors that came in my life that taught me this you know like when I was nineteen I learned the five minute rule mm-hmm. uh, which was my mentor taught me I started in sales and he said sales is like a microcosm for life. Mm-hmm. In terms of adversity, he said, you're going to face things every day, multiple times a day that people encounter occasionally. Like mm-hmm. occasionally people fail. They right. have failure or rejection. I think that's a rare occasion that someone's being rejected. You're getting rejected five times a day, 20 yep. times, right? And he said, So you need tools to to manage this that the, that mental those challenges. And he taught us the five minute rule. He said, When when you when somebody cancels their order, cancels their appointment, doesn't show up, you know, this is why salespeople quit. He said, because these adversities stack and stack and stack until they finally go, dude, I'm going to go get a, like a nine to five. I can't, I can't, I can't handle this anymore. And I for sure had those moments, right? On mm-hmm. the night on the phone, 20 calls, yeah. you know, you know, five or 10, no answers, five people saying, don't ever call her again. I hate you. Right. I'm like, why, why would you I'm a nice person? Like, why would you do that? And, uh, and so he said the five minute rule is that whenever you encounter any kind of anything that upsets you, you set your timer on your phone for five minutes. And you give yourself five minutes to feel all the emotions that come up. You don't suppress mm-hmm. them. You don't, just, you, know, you don't just keep going. You, know, you feel them. And uh, you know, bitch, moan, complain, mm-hmm. cry, vent, whatever you gotta do, feel your emotions. And he said, but there's no value in sustaining these detrimental, painful, unpleasant emotions for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So he said, um, when the timer goes off, you say three very, actually, I don't, I don't think he taught me the three words. I later developed what I would say can't change it simple acknowledgement i can't change what's happened but he right. said when the timer goes off you acknowledge you can't change what happened five minutes ago and this is true whether it was we're suffering over things from five decades ago mm-hmm. right and the thought of what our parents did to us or the trauma we suffered as a child it wasn't fair i didn't deserve it i am the way i am because of like, we really be, are this in this victim mindset and he said so after five minutes you go i can't change it my um, own i have two choices This is true for all of us right uh I can either continue to resist reality and wish the thing didn't happen that happened five minutes ago, mm-hmm. and live in a state of delusion. Mm-hmm. And what I learned later by reading Eckhart Tolle and these other, you know, authors is that uh, resistance is the source of emotional pain. Mm-hmm. That it's our we we think that the thing that happened is why we're upset. You said, of course, I'm angry. Mm-hmm. We also have something to point at. Look at what she said. Mm-hmm. Look at what he did. Look at what happened. I hit traffic, and I was, of course, I'm upset. And we think it's the thing, but it's actually our resistance to reality. It's mm-hmm. wishing it were different. And to the degree that we resist reality determines the degree of emotional pain that we feel. And so I learned this. And, when I, and like many people listening or watching, when I first learned this, I'm like, dude, five minutes. I'm not going to get over something in five minutes. Like just because my timer goes off. I'm not like, that doesn't mean I'm over it. I'm still going to be upset. Right. And I remember there's two really cool micro, like little stories that happened within the first few weeks of me applying the strategy. Um, the fur, and by the way, this is all the, one of the major tools that if I didn't meet that mentor, mm-hmm. the irony is I started selling Cutco and I got in a car accident after I gave a speech at a Cutco conference. So the irony is if I hadn't started selling Cutco, I wouldn't have been on the highway at that moment. hmm and if I hadn't started selling a Cutco and had that mentor, I wouldn't have learned the thing that enabled me to deal with the adversity of being hit head on by a drunk driver and yeah. found dead at the scene. And so um, but when I first started, I thought five minutes is enough time. And I remember uh, this woman uh, didn't show up to her appointment. I drove all the way out to her house. I was super excited. I needed this appointment, you know, and it was my first week and she didn't show up. And there was like a note, like, we don't need knives. And it was like a 45 minute drive. And I was like, are you kidding me? Who does that? Like she had my number. I talked to her mm-hmm. and she just leaves me a note and no flakes on me. And so I'm in my, you know, so I get in the car and I'm stewing at this point, like it was automatic. You know, he's like, just, you set your timer as soon as you can. set the timer and I'm going, oh, I can't believe she did that. What a, what a, what a, blah, you know, and like, and, uh, and then timer goes off. And I'm like, and I snoozed it. I'm like, I need five more. I'm like, I'm still pissed. I'm like, see, and, and it, it, to me, I was like, this validated. I'm like, see, I, five minutes isn't enough. You're mm-hmm. not gonna get over something five minutes. But here's something that ex- so profound, Ruby, that happened is it was elevating my consciousness every time I set the timer, it went off. And for the first few, you know, for, for the few, first quite a few times, it, I was still upset longer than five minutes. But I got shorter and shorter and shorter realizing, oh, I can't change it. So I can either, that first decision, continue to be upset or I can accept it fully and be at peace with it. Mm-hmm. Those are really my only two decisions. Continue to be miserable and self-create and perpetuate emotional pain, or accept it and be at peace with it. Mm-hmm. And I think a really important distinction is that you've got you know painful emotions over on one side and pleasant emotions on the other. When you accept life exactly as it is, it doesn't mean you're happy that that thing happened five minutes ago or five hours ago or five days ago. Um, it's more powerful than that, though, because happiness is an emotion. It's fleeting. Mm-hmm. Happy one minute, new information changes that. Now you're angry, you're sad, you're scared, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, so the way I look at it is that you've got your painful emotions on one side and your pleasant emotions on the other side. And then if you bring the, the hand that I'm waving on the right for the painful and the hand on the left for the right into prayer position in the middle, that's the state of inner peace. Mm-hmm. And inner peace is not an emotion, right? There's an emotional kind of feel to calm and you know peace but it's a state of consciousness. And, and, and whereas emotions are fleeting, states of consciousness I find are, they're ongoing, they're underlying, they're ever present and you return to whatever state of consciousness you've conditioned. So if you've conditioned the state of consciousness that is inner peace, then yes, disturbing news might create an emotional response where you're scared or upset or whatever, but we always fall back to our state of consciousness. If on the other hand, your state of consciousness that you live in perpetually is fear, Then that thing that happened, that 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 bad news or whatever, right? If you're receiving that in a state of consciousness that is fear, it amplifies Mm -hmm. the detriment and the pain and right, it just blows out of proportion. So first time I set the timer, I'm like, five minutes, it wasn't enough, need more time. You know, I'm validated. I knew five minutes wasn't long enough to get over something. And then the magic was this, or the miracle, I should say, was this. It was, it had to have been in the first couple of weeks. Um, it was the night before orders were due. I woke up Sunday morning, which is the hardest day to schedule appointments, right? Everybody's like, I'm not, I'm not having Mm -hmm. you over to show me knives. Uh, but I I was like, I got, I I was like $2,000 away from my goal for the week. And I I got on the phone and I ended up scheduling two appointments for the same day. Right. Awesome. Okay, cool. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do it. You know, that thousand bucks per appointment, not easy to average at that point, you know, but I was like, I'm going to do it. And I go, first appointment, buys nothing. I'm like, oh God, I got to sell $2,000 on the last appointment. I end up selling $2,300 to this woman like late afternoon. And I'm on cloud nine. I call my manager. I'm like, Jesse, I just sold 2,300 bucks. I'm over my goal for the week. And uh, he's like, not only are you over your goal, that makes you the number one rep in the office for the week. Mm-hmm. I'm on cloud nine. I'm elated. I'm celebrating. I'm spending the commission in my head. I'm like, ooh, what can I buy with that money that I just made, right? And at like nine, just after nine o'clock at night, the woman calls me. And uh, she says, hey, uh, I'm so sorry. My husband came home and uh, he was so mad that I spent all the money on knives. I have to cancel the order. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, no, 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 like, you know, in my head, I'm like, no, no, no I'm, I'm number one for the week. I hit my goal right. for the week. I, you know, that's I need that money, right? And, uh, you know, I remind her 15-day into all this stuff, and she's, it's done. Mine's made up, cancel the order. And I was like, no. So just, it was like automatic at that point. I set the timer for five minutes. I'm like, I can't believe she did that. You stupid husband, right? Like, if he would have been there, he would have loved the knives as much as she did. You know, like, what am I going to do now? I'm like, well, obviously I can't change that. But it's like, I'd already been processing moving through the, you know, the challenges. So I just quickly was like, well, I gotta, I mean, I guess all I can do is wake up tomorrow morning and get on the phone and accept that I didn't hit my goal for the week. And And Ruby, here's the miracle. I pick up my phone and there's four minutes and 32 seconds left. I can picture it. And I like... I start to set it down and I go, why don't I just say can't change it now? What's the value in me spending the next four and a half minutes being upset over something that I cannot change mm-hmm. when I could just go enjoy the evening? Like I can't get on the phone, but I, I can go watch TV, I can do whatever. And that's when I realized looking back that simple five minute rule and that can't change it mantra, do, that was the tool that elevated my consciousness to be able to accept life exactly as it was. And I realized where at first I thought five minutes isn't nearly long enough to get over something. Mm-hmm. The adversity on that second time, right? Losing the biggest order I've ever had in my career the night before I was number one in the office compared to a lady no-showing, which I couldn't get over that. But after just a couple weeks, I realized five minutes is, I'm not going to waste five minutes of my life ever again. Mm-hmm resisting my reality and wishing it were different when it's it's not it doesn't change things it just makes you miserable and then that moment i'm like i'm gonna go by the five second rule i don't need five i'm gonna go five seconds like give me give me five seconds to go son of a bitch you know <laughs> oh i can't believe it. like oh, release yeah. it you know and then go can't change it move on and so when i was in my car accident i came out of the coma and I was in a coma for you know. Just for people that don't know, I was hit head on by a drunk driver at 80 miles an hour. Uh, my car spun off the drunk driver. The car behind me crashed into my driver's side door at 70 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I, the entire left side of my body was crushed. I broke 11 bones. Uh, I was found dead at the scene. I actually bled to death. My heart stopped beating for approximately six minutes.
0: And if people actually watch the Miracle Morning movie, they'll see it's the, the opening scene. It's- yeah. In oh, the car insane. Yeah. Yeah. I have never seen anything like that. And you look at that pancaked car. It uh, doesn't even look like a car with the exception of the seats. Yeah. That's how you know. Yeah. To first of all, even have a body to pull out yeah. is one thing. But to make it through that experience, especially after what you were told, you were dead on the scene. Literally dead, flatlined on the scene. Yeah, and then you were told you wouldn't be able to walk. You were in a coma. I mean, this was. It, this is like what you said earlier about resistance. You know the saying from the movies: "Resistance is futile." Yeah, like that. Yeah. That it's so true. So that. true. Because one person can look at that and wake up in the hospital and say, "Well, great, I'm fucked. Life yeah. sucks." what you're addressing and i'm so happy that we're starting here is the actual acknowledgement of what has happened not the bypassing of it to get to the happy parts of life but the let's face what is here and present let's face what is real so that from here we can move forward Because I believe that that is the missing piece that a lot of people don't understand with concepts that you are teaching the world. Mm. So keep telling the story with the car accident. You're in the hospital.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, thank you for, for that uh number one i realized that i had been talking the whole time which i tend to do so yeah feel free to interrupt okay. me at any point of um, yeah some interviewers are like oh man i really wanted to ask you more questions and some are like dude that was the best interview ever i just like you were it was so easy I, <laughs> I asked you one question and you answered it for 60 minutes cool <laughs> so yes yeah, so i came out of the coma and you know and like i mean i don't even like out of the coma and i don't remember the first probably few days in fact maybe the first six days um very fuzzy Uh, and and I actually I blend I I blur the line between what I remember and what I've been told vividly by friends and family Mm -hmm. that told me this is what you said this is what you did and I literally don't remember what's because I suffered brain damage you know immediately Um, permanent brain damage which my wife and kids will tell you is still a real a real struggle drill thing (laughs) Um, but uh so I came out of the coma and within a matter of days um the uh, you know I was I'm laughing I'm telling jokes I'm you know I'm just super positive and I, I just I applied the five minute rule I'm like well I can't change that I was in a car accident I can't change that I broke eleven bones if I never walk again and I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life and I can't change that uh, the only thing I can choose is how I experience every moment and that's and, and I'll just I'll mention this as a planting a seed that's the future of my work or, or the next phase, right? So the miracle morning is my life's work. Mm-hmm. Um, the next book that I actually just sent the chapter. So, so the new updated and expanded edition, not to get off track, but this will circle back um, of the miracle morning book is what I'm writing right now. So it's going right. to come out. It's been the 10 year anniversary has happened. And so in September, it's the first time ever the miracle morning will be traditionally published. It's been self published for 10 years.
0: Wow. Um, Congratulations. Yeah. yeah that I'm is excited. huge.
1: It's, it's, yeah, it's traditionally published and, 37 languages in 100 countries. And so basically, my agent's been looking for the right publisher in the US because they go, it's been proven that if we put it in retail, it goes crazy. Mm -hmm. They're like, it's never been in retail in the United States, right? So we finally found the right publisher. Um, And uh, and doing this updated edition, I want to like really make it different. I rewrote the entire book. Like I kept the flow. The chapters, orders are the same. But I just, I wrote it from a place of consciousness that I wasn't at 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. right? The whole book's been polished. But the other thing is I'm adding two chapters, the miracle evening and the miracle life. Mm -hmm. The reason I'm saying this whole thing, this is the backstory of the miracle life is my next book. And the miracle life is the paradigm. So whereas the miracle morning is a practice for personal development, Mm -hmm. the miracle life is a paradigm for personal fulfillment. And it's based on this premise. There's a lot in life we can't control. The one thing we can control is how we choose to experience every moment of our lives. Mm -hmm meaning bad stuff's going to happen. Are you going to be at peace with it? Or are you going to resist it and wish it didn't happen? Right? Life's going to suck at times. Are you going to be unhappy and use difficult circumstances as your justification why you're not happy, you're angry, you're frustrated? Or are you going to choose to be the happiest and the most grateful you've ever been while you endure any circumstances? And that for me was when I came out of the coma The doctors called my parents into after I was out of the coma for about a week. I was in the coma for six days, out for a week. My parents get called in by the doctors, unbeknownst to me. I didn't know. I knew they were meeting, but I didn't know what the conversation was. It was like an update on my status, and I had flatlined two more times in the coma. So like it was very touch and go. Right, dead at the scene. I mean, you know. So it's like my parents are just going like, please don't take our son. Um, And we might circle back, but my my sister died when I was eight. So like they had already lost a child. Mm -hmm. They had lost their youngest, and now they're. Looking at their oldest, you know, their, their old firstborn, me in a coma and hooked up to tubes and broken bones and this and that. But the doctors called him in and they said, we're concerned with Hal. Um, physically, he's stable now. Like he should be live a long life. Um, but, you know, we, we've told him you're probably never going to walk again. Uh, you have permanent brain damage. His, you know, your bo- my body was, you know, it's scarred beyond belief. The whole left side got all these holes in it and broken bones. And they said, Hal's always smiling and laughing and joking and telling up, making us laugh. And they said, that's not normal. They said, not for a 20 year old young man, let alone any age, but 20, you know, that's being told he's never going to walk again. So they said, we've seen this before. It's actually not uncommon for accident victims that cannot accept their reality that they just check out. Like you said, they bypass, right? It's like, mm-hmm. I can't, uh, let's
0: just tell jokes, right? right? Like, yeah. you know, let's focus on that. Right. Let's and, fast forward to the good parts. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so they said, The emotional healing can't begin until he faces what's happened. Um, They said, he's probably covering up, you know, he's deep down. He's probably scared. He's probably sad. He's, he might be angry with the drunk driver. Um, He's, you know, maybe depressed. And they said, we need you to talk to him and find out how he's really feeling so that we can get to the bottom of it. He can admit it. We can get him to talk through it. Right. So my dad came in and uh he sat me down and his you know his, his eyes are i think he'd been crying or about mm-hmm. to cry and you know it's obviously a lot of crying during those couple of weeks and or months and um he said how i want to talk to you and he said how are you really feeling i know that when your friends are here you guys are joking and laughing and he said but like at night when the lights go off the tv goes off and you're just you're contemplating what has happened to you just two weeks ago and what the future is like and that, you know, you might never, the doctor, I know you say you're going to, he said, I know you say you're going to walk in hell, but, you know, doctors are saying you you're, might not. And how are you really feeling? Are you sad? Are you scared? Are you angry? Are you depressed? And I said, you know, I went inside because I was like, all right, he's really concerned, you know, and, and am I, am I not processing my real emote? Right. You know, I really went inside and I went, I mean, it took me probably less than 30 seconds and I go, dad, I thought you knew me better than that. He said, what do you mean? I said, remember, I live my life by the five-minute rule that I learned in my Cutco training? He said, Hal, I I get that. He said, but that was for much milder adversity. That was for no sales and no showed and canceled appointments. This is a little different. I said, it is and it isn't, Dad. Yes, this is much more extreme adversity, but that five-minute rule and that principle of accepting reality exactly as it is and being at peace with it is more important now than it's ever been. I said, If I'm in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I can't change that I'm in a wheelchair, but I can choose to be the happiest, most grateful human being you've ever seen in a wheelchair. And dad, I've already visualized that. I've imagined that. That's that's what I'm choosing. I said, but I've accepted the worst case scenario and that I never walk again. I'm at peace with life exactly as it is. I said, but I'm not I'm not surrendering to that is the only possibility i'm visualizing walking every day i am praying about it every day i am meditating on my body healing every day i said dad i'm i'm focusing a hundred percent of my energy on what i want while i'm 100 at peace if what i don't want comes to be mm-hmm. comes to pass, right um I think that's hard for people maintaining that dichotomy of like mm-hmm. it's like if you the more you want something the more you are attached to it being that way and you're disappointed or distraught if it's not that way.
0: Right. And then on the flip side, some people believe uh, because I've had clients go through this. Well, if I accept my reality right now, Mm. then that means I'm going to be stuck here. And that means that this is my place and I'm not going to get to where I really want to be. But truly I always say the first two steps to change is, is you have to acknowledge one and then you have to accept. Yeah. Because through that acceptance, you can be or feel at peace with what is mm-hmm. and then go and create what it is that you want. Yeah. But you're at peace with what where you are. So you're not always struggling with where you're at while you're trying to reach for something that's not yet in your reach.
1: Yeah, which is a state of delusion, wishing right. that things were different than they are, wishing you were further along than you are. No, it's mm-hmm. like love, like the, the tagline of my first book, it was called taking life head on. Nobody, hardly anybody read it, you know, um, but, uh, I, uh, my first book I self-published a long time ago, but the tagline was love the life you have while you create the life of your dreams. Right. And most people are, we mm-hmm. waiting. A guy I just read, um, you ever read, I don't know how to pronounce his name. Maybe you can actually, this would be a, a huge value if you know the pronunciation, um, Fitch, Oh, Nan. Nope,
0: can't you pronounce don't it. I don't know either. I, don't, I feel like I don't think anyone knows. Yeah, no.
1: yeah I was like, I, I, I read a passage from his book on my podcast yesterday. Yeah. And I'm like, I should have Googled the pronunciation because I'm telling you something. You know. Yeah, Fitch Nan Hat or something. Or yeah. yeah. Anyway, but he had, I'm reading his book, Pieces Every Step. Mm. Read that one? No. Really good. Sounds great. So good. And he, all of his books, I was just reading yeah. the previews the other day on Amazon, just the Kindle preview. I'm like, oh my God, he's, mm-hmm. they're all so good. There's probably a lot of overlap, but he's like an expert in mindfulness. And essentially, he said we're very good at planning to live, but we're not very good Mm -hmm. at living. He said we'll we'll sacrifice ten years of our life to get that diploma, Mm -hmm. right? We'll work tirelessly so we can buy that house, Mm -hmm. buy that car, do that thing, right? But he's like we're we're great at planning to live in the future someday. But it's perpetual. It's a state of being that you live your entire life, waiting for someday to be happy, mm-hmm. to feel like you made it, to feel fulfilled, to feel worthy, right? Versus like, no, I accept my life exactly as it is. I love my life exactly as it is. But wait, it's you're you're, you're struggling financially. I know, but this is my life. Mm-hmm. I can either love it and enjoy every moment while I make it better, mm-hmm. right? To your point, of it doesn't mean you're resigning yourself to right, right? accepting something and resigning yourself to it. It's not. It's not the same thing. It's just acknowledging this is how it is. I can be at peace with it while I go kick some ass and make, you know, make make things better.
0: Mm -hmm. It's like, um, escapism in a way. A lot of people live their lives in that way, especially in the, I'm very much in the plant medicine space, especially in that space. Like they continue to go into ceremony because that's where they'd rather be, but you're not facing the reality in your 3d life. Then how do you expect to ever get to where you want to be? You know, there is a, a, an acceptance that needs to be experienced for us to really fully experience life and this is like i said this is why i'm so happy we're starting here because it's really easy especially for people in in my community to look at a book like miracle morning and be like affirmations meditation visualization what the fuck (laughs) you know what i mean like because there's a lot of talk about that and there has been for a long time in the spiritual community but the reason why um miracle morning works is because of the context behind it Mm. and the depth from which it is rooted in this isn't a stand in front of the mirror saying i am the richest entrepreneur in this industry. It's not that, it's not delusional. It's very much rooted in reality. And it's important that people understand that this was also not just birthed from a delusional place, it came from a place of reality, of your own life experience, and then your own life practice. And I think that's the reason why it works and that's the reason why you've been able to cultivate such a huge community around it is because of the the realness to it versus mm. it being something really fluffy and bypassy and yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah, like there's totally. just so much of that. Um, and so with the car accidents, one thing, and then we move forward in your timeline. At this point, were you practicing Miracle Morning after the car accident?
1: Uh, no, I, so the car accident was December 3rd, 1999. I was 20 years old mm-hmm. and then Miracle Morning, the concept, not the book, but the, in my own life, it was 2008, the US economy had crashed, so we're talking right. eight years later.
0: Got it, so let me first yeah, go yeah. here. Prior to 20, your upbringing, other than the Cutco, Five minute rule, Mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah. Because there is an importance in feeling our feelings versus bypassing them. Yeah. What do you feel prepared you for something like that? I mean, if you're open to talking about the death of your sister, I think you were what, like eight eight years old. Um, What do you feel helped shape you? prepare you for what you're about to leap into with your life
1: yeah yeah um one thing that i and i didn't realize this till much later when i was asked a similar question and i was like kind of analyzing my life um my so when i was uh seven years old i had a six-year-old sister right she was a year and a half younger haley um and then i had another sister that was born in amory and Amory was born uh, with a very rare medical condition. Uh, it's a form of dwarfism. Mm. It's called, I think, like metatropic dysplasia. First time I ever actually remembered that and said it. So <laughs> we're in a, something's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but But um, metatropic dysplasia, and uh, so she would have never been over four feet tall. I think it was like her, and then and then it also caused her organs to be you know different in large right. um the doctors told her to told my mom to get an abortion they said she won't your daughter won't make it through pregnancy and she, you know it's a very rare disease most you know uh there's very few people that are even born with this disease most of them either die during labor or they die in pregnancy uh wow. and my mom being who she is said uh, you're not gonna tell me to t- <laughs> you know, i'm not gonna abort my daughter yeah. um and uh and so amory was born and uh lots you know she was in and out of the hospital all the time you know with different health with her health conditions um a year and a half after she was born, Saturday morning, my dad's at work, my uh, sister Haley is at my grandma's house out of town, just me, and my mom, and Amory at home, and I woke up to my mom screaming across the hall from her bedroom, my baby, my baby, my baby, not my baby, and uh, as I came to, I realized, oh, this is, she's not, I thought she was playing with her at first, and I go, oh, this is serious, What's so something's going on, I run across the hall, and my mom's giving her mouth-to-mouth mm-hmm. resuscitation, like on the bed. And um, she'd been breastfeeding her, and my sister's eyes just glossed over, and um, it was heart failure. And so I called. Mom had me. You know, Mom, what do I do? She's not breathing. You call 911. I call 911, My mom's giving her mouth to mouth, talking to me, telling me what to say, and then she says go to the neighbor's house he was 80 years old and he always had this oxygen tank she goes tell grant to bring over his oxygen and we lived in the mountains so like my property it wasn't like walking it was like right. he'll you know and he's dragging this giant oxygen tank on these two tires, right and he's going to slow yeah. he's 80 years old and I'm like hurry grant hurry you know oh and so um we get over there uh my dad had come or was on his way back ambulance was on their way um, ambulance took my mom and dad uh, to the hospital, and Amory and I went to um, my, our, my my parents had called a friend of the family and said, "Can Hal? I, we don't need Hal to go to the hospital. Can you have, bring him over to your house?" And I went over to the house and playing with friends. And I thought going to be fine. I thought, "Oh, that's what she's she's in good hands. She's in an ambulance. That's what they mm-hmm. do. They're gonna they're gonna save her." And um, my uh, dad uh, I don't know, I was probably an hour playing with, the, you know, not even, I mean, literally thinking, not thinking twice, just playing with the boys, thinking everything's gonna be fine and, uh, playing with my friends. And, uh, my dad, the, the mom comes out of the office and says, "Hal, your dad's on the phone. And I said, okay. And I went in and I talked to him and first time I ever heard my dad cry. And, uh, he, he said, um, and by the way, he was dude, he was, he had me when he was 23. So he was 30, right. When mm-hmm. this happened. Um, and, uh, Roughly. And he said, uh, Amory's in heaven now. Mm. And, uh, I don't remember what I thought or even how I felt. I just know what I said next. Um, and then I've tried to deduct what was going on for me. And what happened is not what I said to my dad. I got off on my dad and I went into the living room. And what I imagined is I was feeling a whole bunch of weird, confusing emotions. Like, wait, I, I'm never going to see her, right? Like, mm-hmm. what? You know, as, as anyone that loses someone, right? But especially being eight years old, trying to figure this out. And all I know is that I said, um, I, I definitely bypassed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, hey guys, uh, guess where Amory is? And the, I, I can remember, I can see the mom, Janine, looking at me and like furrowing her brow and tilting her head. I can see that. And I think, I think she, I think my dad probably told her. And, um, but my friends knew nothing. And I said, she's in heaven. Isn't that great? That's like heaven's like supposed to be the best place, and uh, and so at that moment, um, I I developed a superpower, if you will, right to be able to. I or I, or I, or I didn't you know I had to develop it. I didn't really develop it, but I established like, oh wow, I don't have to feel emotional pain mm-hmm. uh, if I, I can just I can bypass it, right? Um, and my my parents within a matter of, and this is, there's really, this, that's the first part of the answer to your question and here's the other, my, um, within a matter of months, maybe six months later, my mom is leading a support group for other parents that have lost their children. Wow. Right, and so consciously, I didn't make the connection until later, but I'm like, I think that embedded in my subconscious, right, was like, oh, you take your tragedy and you serve other people with it, mm-hmm. right? You turn it into a triumph in that way. Um, My dad uh, and my mom and actually the whole family, uh, there was this fundraiser once a year that uh, was for the the hospital that Amory was cared for throughout her 18 months that she was alive, Valley Children's Hospital in Fresno, California. And um, they they did a newspaper fundraiser every year where the the newspaper donated all the proceeds on one day of this special edition that featured the kids from the hospital and they sold the newspaper. Well, that didn't happen in our little mountain town. But my parents were like, how can we support that hospital? Um, and so they, uh, so, you know, every year, me, my sister, we, you know, we were out there selling newspapers all day long. Right. And so I think that was it. I think it was seeing that my, you know, it was a learning that like, you don't have to be emotionally distraught and dwell over something you can't change. Now, again, I was not accepting it. I wasn't acknowledging it. I was bypassing it, right? So it wasn't a developed Mm -hmm. superpower. It was kind of like the fringe of the superpower. right? But it did did serve me for sure, right? It kept Um, you safe. It kept me safe, Mm -hmm. yeah. It was a defense mechanism, if you will. And then it allowed me, after developing that for so many decades, uh, it was after my cancer, which we can talk about that later, but um, after I went through cancer that I... I realized I don't know how to feel painful emotions. I literally don't know how to feel them. I've gone my entire life without feeling them. And so through plant medicine, uh, I uh, and therapist, counselor, you name it, I was trying to figure out everything. And um, I finally, one night, it was like four in the morning, and I had uh, uh, done some plant medicine. And- How old were you? uh, This was 40, Mm -hmm. so about three years ago. It actually was, yeah, it it was in 2020. I was going through the hardest time in my life. After three years of chemo, my brain broke. Something broke. I couldn't think clearly. I couldn't articulate. I couldn't. I. 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 I was. I developed anxiety for the first time in my life. I started sleeping two to four hours a night for like six months. And if you ever slept two to four hours in a night, it wrecks you the next day. Yeah. I got to the point where after a, you know a few weeks, maybe months of doing it, like around dinner time, I can picture myself at the dinner table with my wife, with Ursula and the kids, and we had company over. My cousin was in town. And I just and I remember this happened. This was the first night it happened, but I, I was like, "Oh God!" Bedtime's in like th- two two hours, and I had been just laying awake every night, mm-hmm. just miserable. And and it got to the point where I was so sleep deprived that I was hallucinating. I thought people were trying to kill me. I mean, it was yeah. crazy. And so I just remember, I just saw my hand. I was shaking like that. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. it was it was tr- the, the, and I was diagnosed with PTSD. Mm-hmm. So it was in the middle of all of that. Um, that I'm going through this and, um, Oh, what was I talking? Feelings, about? Oh, feelings. And so, yeah. So looking back and realize, oh, so, so yeah. So I do plant medicine and my only intention, I'm like, I just want to cry. I haven't cried my entire life. Really. I like literally, unless I hurt myself, I never cried. And, and I will say this. I did think that this was a, I had studied enlightenment starting after my car accident. Mm-hmm. Right. And I really aspired to that. So I really thought, cause really. So I think that when you are reach a state of enlightenment, you are able to do what we're talking about, accept mm-hmm. it, be at peace with it. So I thought I had achieved that level of enlightenment because, or, or a certain level because I thought, Oh wow, like I I'm able to transcend emotional pain. And one of my counselors during that period of 2020, when I was going through the sleep deprivation and um, made me realize that how I think you actually bypass, I think, I think, and what I realized is I'm not strong I'm not emotionally stronger than most, I'm actually weak and I can't handle emotional pain so I don't ever feel it, which is, it's cool. What, it, what the problem with it is I have no empathy because I don't understand what it's like to feel emotional pain. So while I could continue this way, um, you know, it, I like the superpower, I kinda like that I don't to feel pain. I, how, I'm not, I can't serve humanity at the highest level if I don't know what it's like to suffer. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I had no – if anybody told me, like, I'm really struggling, I'm depressed, I'm, I would be like, dude, five-minute rule. Can't change it. Turn it easy, mm-hmm. right? Because I had never been so dark, so depressed, so scared that those things didn't work. There was no quick mm-hmm. fix. And, and during that six-month period started November 2019. That was the first night I slept two hours um, and then continued for six months until I got off chemo, um, which is a whole other – big pharma conversation um but which i'm happy to go into but the um that morning i i I just wanted to cry and it took me a while. i I was like i couldn't cry couldn't cry and i'm like my wife's right i'm a freaking robot what the hell's god how do i wait what's it gonna take and so i started imagining my kids dying Mm -hmm. i started imagining the worst most painful things and i tried to like it was weird i mean i'm literally visualizing them dying and me like I'm, i'm going i'm like what is it gonna take and finally the seal broke and I started bawling and it actually, it felt so good. Right. I mean, you know, a normal person knows what a good cry can do for you. And this yeah. was like 20 years of never crying or 30 years, right. All coming out. And I just have to tell you the funny part of the story. You know, my wife was like, you, if I, if I divorced you, if I left you, and she would say this occasionally, like, you know, just like you wouldn't even, you would just set your timer for five minutes. Wouldn't even be, you wouldn't even care. And I would say, no, I would, but I, really, i didn't know how to like i'm like uh, and uh, and so i'm bawling my eyes out i'm in the guest room because at this point i mean my marriage is almost falling apart at this point because mm-hmm. i'm a mess right my wife's like i don't know is this forever is this the new you is this what chemo did to you like you know she was sensitive but it, i mean she, she would hit her and she's like you're this isn't who i married like I, you know and uh, it was really hard and i was sleeping in the guest room because not because we were fighting but because if she crinkled the bed i would wake up and i would be wide awake all night right so i was in the guest room so anyway i'm bawling my eyes out and i'm like ursula has to see i can cry i'm finally crying (laughs) so imagine at like five in the morning your husband comes in he's you've never seen him cry in your entire marriage and i just shake her and i'm like sweetie sweetie and i'm bawling my eyes out and i'm like look at i'm crying And she just thinks the kid's are in a danger right right like, well, where, where's sophie where's howie are they what's wrong i'm like no 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 they're fine i'm crying because i'm thinking about what it would be like to lose anyway so not there's not not a lot of discernment in that decision but right. um but anyway so so that's when i really cracked it open that's i think i told you a few different stories in in that section but yeah
0: no uh, i'm happy that you went there because again, it's really easy to look at things like miracle morning and feel like, okay, this is just like a quick fix to, to feeling better. And I believe just through my own personal journey and the work that I've done with clients is that there's often layers that we go to depths that we go to within our own inner expansion, inner growth, inner maturity, and inner consciousness. And so things like the five minute rule, that is phenomenal for someone who just needs to learn that it's safe to feel sad or it's safe mm-hmm. to feel rage or it's safe to feel anger because you can contain it so it works yeah. but then as you start to emotionally develop consciously develop there are you start to realize that there's more There's Mm. more that wants to come out and be expressed, but now you've like capped yourself. Yeah. So how do we then get to those depths and, you know, plant medicine helps and also just learning again, like how to cultivate that sense of it's okay to feel because at some point in our lives, we cut that, Mm. that connection to our emotions, whether it was for safety security reasons, or we're told, you know, you can't feel this or it's bad or told that anger is bad but happiness is good totally we learn these things and so when we talk about morning rituals when we talk about setting ourselves up for the day when you are talking about what you're talking about this is what i want people to realize is that there's layers to this and there's different depths to this and they all require this continuous uh, evolution of your your emotional self your spiritual self to be able to go to those different depths and you know i know that even just from watching the documentary and also from witnessing you from the sidelines cancer
1: yeah
0: to be diagnosed with cancer is one thing to be diagnosed with a uh somewhat more rarer form of cancer is another And then to be diagnosed at, and then told you have a what, 20 to 30%
1: 30 chance of surviving. Yeah.
0: At what I would say was like this peak success (laughs) space of your career. Miracle morning is going, you've got your events going, the book is selling in so many different countries. You've got this huge community of what, like millions of people. Yeah. And, a reminder that you are still human. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to talk about that chapter of your life because from my perspective and when I feel into it, it feels like that really helped you go even deeper Mm. into that emotional evolution and also the evolution of your work, which is going to be come out. It was just coming out in the new rewritten book. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh yeah, all the things that you mentioned um were true. Of course the uh, what you didn't mention that is was the hardest was I had a 7-year-old daughter and a 4-year-old son right at the time I was diagnosed. So to be told there's only a 20 to 30% chance you're going to be alive for them and there's a 70 to 80% chance you're going to die in the next few weeks. Um and yeah, the cancer I was diagnosed with acute lymphoblastic leukemia. It's very rare, very aggressive. There's only 6,000 people I think in the United States that I don't know if that's have had it or have it now, or it's mm-hmm. something like that's very low, you know, like a million people have cancer, only 6,000 with this one. Um, and the re- way that it kills you is it, it attacks your organs, your organs shut down. And the way I found out I had it is I woke up in the middle of the night, struggling to breathe and uh, went to the urgent care. They misdiagnosed me with pneumonia, gave me a Z pack of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. And they said, if it doesn't get better in a couple of days, go get a second opinion. Uh, couldn't every night, you know, I can't breathe. I'm like having to sleep, sitting up and, um, go get a second opinion and uh, the doctor so what What ended up happening was I got second opinion they couldn't figure out what was wrong still I had multiple doctors and I ended up having to go to the ER and they had to they drained the first time they drained two liters of fluid from my lung I picture a two liter mm-hmm. soda bottle right two of those yeah, you can
0: watch the documentary to see <laughs> the, it's yeah, they, I, it's unreal
1: yeah yeah and so um, and that and that was every other day I'd have to go into the ER it would fill back up I couldn't breathe go into the ER and they're draining it while they're not they don't know what's wrong and um, we had a trip to go visit my grandma and my uh, wife and you know my wife was like what do you need me to do you want me to stay here and you know be with you and I go no my grandma is so looking forward to this you know I don't want to like uh, you know she'll be already heartbroken that I can't go but if, if you and the kids are there that's something and so my mom met uh they all went to my grandma's and uh and then I get a call from the doctor and he says or the nurse or the assistant, and she says uh, he wants you to come in and talk to him I go oh can you give me an idea what's going on she says he, he would like you to come and he'll tell you And I'm like oh shit it's like <laughs> I don't know a lot but I know that's usually bad when you have to come yeah. in and uh here's the funny part I so there's was actually there's lots of there's lots of funny parts it's emotional roller coaster the next few years but um but I go in and, and I, it was a new doctor. I just moved to Texas like a few months prior, right? This is not how we planned on our life in Texas being, of course, but just moved to Texas. Um, and uh, so I'd only seen him like once before for like a checkup, right? And so, and now he's got to tell me <laughs> this news. And he's like beating around the bush and he's talking in circles. And I lean in and I said, I forgot his last name. I said, you know, doctor. Um, I said, I could tell whatever you're about to tell me is you're, you're, you're struggling to tell me. I said, I just want you to know I accept life before it happens, meaning I've already accepted anything and everything that will ever happen to me. And I'm at peace with it. I said, you could literally tell me I'm going to die today and I'm at peace with it. It is what it is. And he goes, okay. All right. He's like, that, that actually does make it a little easier to tell you. And he said, but you have cancer. Um, not sure at that point, you didn't know what kind. And, uh, and even, you know, I was like, I was totally thrown back. I was like, Oh, whoa, no, like that. No, because like, mm-hmm. I was because there was pretty healthy, right? And looking back, by the way, I, I did identify. Oh, here's all the behaviors that weren't healthy. I took mm-hmm. a lot of workout supplements in my 20s with red dye and blue dye. Mm-hmm. I, um, you know, I took Adderall in my 20s for a lot of it right? I, I, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't sleep nearly enough. You know, so there are these little, like mm-hmm. all these little things that I looked at. Oh, these could have caused it. Um, but uh, I called Ursula. You know, I got in the car, called her, and I, by the way five, you know, can't, I can't, I mean, literally, and by the way, there's, I don't want to dismiss the value of the five minute rule and acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, I had cancer, right? I now granted, if I knew how to feel my emotions at that point, I, a good cry would have been in order, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, where you ultimately, I believe you want to get to as, as fast as it makes sense is a place of inner peace, right? Um, like that's the state of consciousness that you embody. And, and, and that's the thing about m- emotions. Like I believe every emotion serves a purpose. And when I was younger, I didn't, I'm like, those are, there's negative emotions and right. positive, right? That, that was, that was my immature view of it. Um, but, but I believe every emotion serves a purpose, right? Mm-hmm. You know, for example, if you feel anger, you look at, wait, why am I angry? I'm angry. Cause I did this and I shouldn't have done that. And I'm mad at myself for doing it. That's information. That's data for me to process, to go, oh, I'm going to make a change in my mm-hmm. life. Right. But here's the thing. To me, the what you would call negative emotions are only valuable until they're not. It's about extracting what is the value, what is the lesson from this. Got it. Can't change what happened, so therefore I'm not going to dwell in anger. I'm not going to dwell in depression. I'm not going to dwell in you know, whatever, whatever fear. I'm not going to dwell in fear. And you can, There's a lot of li- different contexts that you can assess this, which one of them is health. And 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 the you know and I don't have any data to share, but you know I, mean, I think it's pretty well known mm-hmm. that you know stress is the killer, right? I mean that mm-hmm. causes disease. So there's in terms of not remaining in these negative emotional states, they literally cause disease. They cause mm-hmm. physical ailment to your body. The, when you're in a state of peace, your body is as you know that that's an optimal state for your body. Is that mental and emotional peace?
0: Well, the piece about that too yeah, is please. that we yes, if we stay in a prolonged state that is energetically dense, mm. yes, this is, can cause disease. And if we resist, Bi- oh, or, resist yeah. or bypass yeah. what our body, our mind wants to feel, that can also call, cause dis-ease. I think a lot of people have this picture of like, okay, I'm supposed to be high vibe mm, or I'm yes, supposed to be peak you. performance or I'm supposed to always be in this like peak state. And it's like, no, we have this full range of emotional capacity for a reason. And we are meant to flow through and every day is going to look different. We're meant to expand and contract and move very fluid like and, um, you know, like you discovered and and what you're about to get into pre-cancer hell. maybe he was more in the I really enjoy these peak states and I really, you know, this is where I like to be but the cancer brought you into this whole other dimension of feeling and expression yeah. and that's what i'm really curious about yeah
1: yeah then the day i was diagnosed uh my you know and i told my parents and like you know i mean all of us were like god come on like we uh, you know yeah well, you know like my poor parents like well, he, he's already been through you know and we've already been through like and uh you know and, and for me it was like what else am i supposed to learn right mm-hmm. like i've already gone through a death near-death experience like what mm-hmm. am i supposed to learn and the answer is a lot like right it's what we're talking about i mean um the uh it's also realizing that i was a workaholic and that i was neglecting my family and i would set my 10-minute timer to play with my son mm-hmm. you know like right and it created this anxiety right he's counting down like six minutes mm-hmm. left five minutes right you know and like and I, but i'm like i'm playing with him i'm making time even though i'm a really busy entrepreneur and i should be i could be working i know i know a lot of my friends they won't even play with their kid in the middle of their work day at least i'm taking time you know what i mean but like mm-hmm. it's like almost i'm better not to do it than have the timer and create this weird thing and um so yeah i'm so grateful for the cancer because i am it, it i would not be well i don't know what i'd be but uh, i'm the dad that my kids deserve now because i almost lost them you know and they almost lost me and i'm the husband that my wife deserves because. Of that cancer journey, uh, a couple pieces that are important, uh, and it really actually brings the miracle morning into this. So when I was diagnosed with cancer, so we went to uh, my wife Ursula came back, um, and uh, a couple things. One is you know that so we go to the a third opinion. Like we went to the, the doctor that diagnosed me said go to MD Anderson Cancer Hospital in Houston. They're the best in the world, one of the best, and go and and, and go and they invented the they invented the the treatment the treatment for this cancer. They invented it. So he's like, there's nowhere, but you're three hours away. That's where you need to go. We go there. We sit down um, with their oncologist who's one of the best leukemia oncologists in the world, allegedly, right? This is all mm-hmm. um, subjective, best of, mm-hmm. at what? It, we'll, we'll get into that. Right. But um, but uh, he says how... Um, so I go in and they do more testing. Turns out not only is my lung collapsing every other day, which I knew that, my heart was surrounded by a sack of fluid. Wow! And it was it was very close to hindering my heart from being able to beat. And it was like an eighth of an inch thick. And they said, if it got an eighth of an eighth of an inch thicker, which could happen in days, my heart would not be able to beat. And I would go into cardiac arrest. They'd have to cut my chest open. Right. So, so they, were
0: they draining your heart too? So, so
1: they immediately like the first or, and then they also found my kidneys were failing, Oh wow! but the immediate order of business was they had to get me into emergency. I don't know if you call it surgery. They had to stick a giant needle through my chest and they had to, I had to sign consent. Okay, Hal, we're gonna try to puncture that one-eighth inch thick layer, but if we go too far and puncture your heart, you will also go into cardiac arrest, we'll have to cut your chest open and perform emergency open heart surgery. So you need to sign this contract that says, if we do that, we did the best we could. Wow. <laughs>
0: So, okay. So the I, contracts in hospitals.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That, Hey, we are, yeah, it's, yeah, we
0: are not responsible yeah, if big you die. in hospitals do not yeah. like liability. <laughs> okay. yeah, we I we know, digress but, anyways. Yeah.
1: And so, yeah, um, yeah, we can have a whole uh, other conversation about that, but, um, and I want to touch, I'll touch on it a little yeah, bit here. Please but do. Um, yes. Yes. This is the
0: podcast to do that.
1: Totally. And so, <laughs> uh, so I get that done. Mission accomplished, okay. All right, heart fluids drained. Um, Go meet with an oncologist. And again, I remember it vividly like it was yesterday. My wife and I um, are sitting there, Ursula and I are sitting there, and uh, he says, you know, yes, you have acute lymphoblastic leukemia. It's a 20 to 30% survival rate. Um, If we start chemo immediately, you can start chemo immediately. Uh, Otherwise, um, you know, you're. he said you probably have one to two weeks to live. And uh, so if you can imagine the decision Right. Okay, if I don't do chemo, I'm dead in one to two weeks. If I do chemo, you're saying I have 20 to 30% chance of not being dead in two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Those are shitty odds, right. you know, right? And I always use the comparison to be like, if you went to a financial advisor, and they're like, "There's only a seventy to eighty percent chance that I'm going to lose everything you've ever worked for. Mm-hmm. Will you hire me?" <laughs> You're like, "Fuck <laughs> no!" Oh. Right? So, so my wife is squeezing my hand under the right. Yeah. Ursula's just, she's just crying and she's squeezing because we didn't hear the percentage. That was the moment we heard the percentage. Right, first time we heard it, and. Uh, I said, okay. I said, uh, doctor. I said, no offense. Um, I, I don't want to do chemotherapy. I said, and I had watched a documentary about five, eight years prior called "Healing Cancer from the Inside Out,"
0: mm-hmm.
1: two DVD set. That's how old it was. It was on DVD. Uh, the first DVD was about the cancer industry
0: mm-hmm. and
1: how it is why it, how it came to be, how they pushed out natural medicine for profit and right, and then called everyone that did natural medicine quacks and conditioned through propaganda our society to believe that, oh, you're aware you you're the trusted big pharma doctor, right? Oh yeah, I try, you're, you're God, right? We trust you. Um, so that was DVD one, mm-hmm. kind of opened your paradigm to, oh, maybe the people I thought were totally trustworthy, not that they're bad people in any way. I, doctors are, I think have great missions and great heart, right? But it's the industry, right? It's the big, it's mm-hmm. the system. It's the system that we're talking about. And then the second DVD was all about all these case studies of person after person after person, including people that were written off by doctors saying, you're stage four, you need to go home and die. And they completely used food and and natural supplements and ozone sauna and coffee enemas Mm -hmm. and all these holistic practices to heal their cancer. And I always said, if I ever get cancer, I'm not scared. Um, I'm going to heal it naturally. Mm -hmm. So I told the doctor, I said, I would like to heal this holistically. And I'm wondering if you can support me on that journey and not doing chemo. And he said, Hal, I... You know, I can appreciate that you want to do that. He said, "You don't have that luxury. You don't have a slow-growing tumor that you can try to heal naturally." He said, "You literally have failing organs. This cancer kills people in a matter of weeks. You're on trajectory to do that." And he said, I'm, "If you don't start chemo in the next 24 hours, I, I, I you know, I, I, I don't know what to tell you." And I did not trust that so i said oh yeah good scare talk you know i'm not gonna buy your mm-hmm. and then my, of course my daughter my, or my wife is squeezing my hand so yeah. hard and that just makes me more angry right like i'm like he's scaring the shit out of her and right like, you know i'm like how dare you you know threaten me and uh, or you know right scare tag whatever i said can i have 24 hours to talk to my wife and my family and and then get back to you and he said yes i just wouldn't wait any longer than that i said okay i went home i researched the best holistic doctors in the country um, and uh, I called two of them, and uh, one of them was Dr. Brzezinski, who is Polish. My wife is Polish. She sees that as a sign. Anyone mm-hmm. that's Polish is just <laughs> it's, yeah. its meant to be, right? You know, like she doesn't like the UFC, but if it's a Polish fighter, she's like, I want to watch it, right? She, she loves, she's got Polish pride, and, uh, and so she, we're like, it's meant to be. He's, he was in Houston, right? And so he was Suzanne Summers' doctor that cured her cancer naturally, so anyway, we call him, call the other doctor. They both tell me, your best bet is chemotherapy. Wow. So these are the best holistic oncologists in possibly the world saying that your doctor wasn't lying to you. Like yeah. this cancer will kill you in the next two weeks. They said, we will not risk you, you know, you need to take extreme measures. And so I got off the phone and I went, um, like, like I was I so was resistant to chemo, as you would, I'm sure be too, mm-hmm. right? I'm like, I do not want to poison myself with chemo. But if the best holistic doctors in the country don't believe they can help me, what am I going to go rogue and be like, I can do it myself. I'm yeah. mentally strong. Like, and so I'm like, I guess I got to do chemo. And so we decided to do chemo. But here's the decision I made that I would, I would imagine 99% of cancer patients do not make. And I partly believe that me going through chemo was the best decision, even though it wrecked my body and mm-hmm. caused a lot of long-term problems. Um, because I believe that I can help more people. That have cancer with what I'm about to share because I went through chemo, than if I had done it completely holistic. Because imagine you're the average person that gets cancer and you hear Hal Elrod on a podcast, right? I'm on a podcast or mm-hmm. I read or write a book about it. And you, you know, you go home and go, sweetheart, look, I followed this guy, Hal Elrod. He cured his cancer naturally. I know the doctor's saying that I have to do chemo or else, and I know we trust this doctor, we've been them for years, but I I want to trust this Hal Elrod guy, right? Like the husband be like, hell no of course yeah. right so i'd have very little influence to help people in that situation what i did is the decision i made is okay i, I basically have to do chemo mm-hmm. i'm going to research every holistic practice known to man i'm going to implement every holistic practice that is available in conjunction with chemo i'm going to do both i'm going to de- and i you know i googled what are the side effects of chemo you know liver toxicity was one so I Googled, what are natural supplements and natural methods to detox your liver, mm-hmm. right? And again, this isn't what, I went and I asked my doctor in the next visit, hey, what, I had a list of all these things. Number, first question, which I already knew the answer. Mm-hmm. I was testing his kind of, I was like, where's he at? Hey, what, doctor, what part does diet play in, in my healing? Uh, it doesn't matter, diet doesn't matter as long as you do the chemo. Of course. And I was like, I wanted to kill. I was like, and I got so angry as I would go into the cafeteria at the hospital, and see these people hooked up to their chemo tower, right? They would, we'd drag around our towers because they'd be getting chemo for, I got it for five consecutive days every three weeks, 24 hours a day. Um, and they'd be drinking a big gulp soda, eating a burger with hormone-infested beef and white bread, Mm-mm. eating cake and pie. And I just was, I was like, this is such bullshit. This, mm-hmm. the, 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 the system doesn't make money if they get better and it doesn't right. And, and like, and it just, it's an out and out lie to say that what you eat doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Go eat all the sugar you want, go eat all the processed. It doesn't matter. Right. So, um, I ended up, I, where I landed while I was doing chemo and it was the chemo because the cancer I had was so aggressive. The chemo regimen is one of the hardest, one of the most intense that there is. I, I was scheduled to do, I think it was 750 hours of chemotherapy in eight months. Wow. So roughly 100 hours a month.
0: That is a lot of chemo.
1: Five different drugs, each one for 24 hours, for five consecutive days just poisoning me, poisoning right? Poisoning
0: your entire body, and killing the cancer and killing you. Killing,
1: exactly. That's one of the nurses told me that. She was like, we, we got a good, had a good rapport, and she'd been a nurse for like 20 years, a cancer nurse specifically. And she goes, Hal, I'll be honest with you. She said, the method is... We kill the cancer, or, or it is killing you while it's killing the cancer, and we just hope that it kills the cancer before it kills you, and then you can re- rehabilitate. live. I'm like, and so, um, I uh, I did the I did the chemo, and I did I took over seventy supplements a day. You know, I mean all vitamins and they were vetted out. One thing that I want to be really clear on when it comes to the supplement industry, it's mm-hmm. it's not much better than big pharma. No,
0: there's a lot of crap.
1: It's crap, right? A lot it's, of fillers and I'll give you and, and here's I want to give a really easy um way for people to discern whether or not they should take the supplements that, that are the average, right? It's like ninety nine percent of supplement companies are crap. They're chemicals, they're artificial, and there's probably more harm they're doing to your body than mm-hmm. good. Okay. Here's a quick here's an easy way to to figure it out. Um Look at how they make their vitamin C, right? And uh, the only vitamin C supplement you should be taking is one that comes from foods that are high in vitamin C, whole food supplements. Again, 99 plus percent of supplements use ascorbic acid as vitamin C. Most ascorbic acid is made in China. They use formaldehyde in part of the dilution process. Um, It is not vitamin C. It mimics the chemical, the molecular structure of vitamin C, but it's not vitamin C, right? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's how I, immediately when I find I go by supplement companies usually. I'll give you a couple yeah, of know, pure synergy is a yep. really good one. You can get on Amazon from there. Yep. Um, my favorite is it, it, the website is Herbdoc h e r b d o c herbdoc mm-hmm. dot com. It's Doctor Shoals. And by the way, here's how you know with a multivitamin as well. If your multivitamin is one capsule and it has
0: everything, forty in it.
1: different vitamins <laughs> in it. I want you to use some common sense and think how much of each vitamin could possibly be in that capsule packed into this one vitamin. So Dr. Scholl's um, that their multivitamin is made from superfood that's just compacted and it's 15 vitamins. You have to eat 15 capsules for one serving, Mm -hmm. right? That, that, like that alone goes, oh, and it's all either organic or wild harvested. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, but but vitamin C is how I discern when I'm looking at a vitamin company, I immediately Google that company or Amazon search mm-hmm. that company and vitamin C. And I look, if it's ascorbic acid, I will not buy from that company. Yeah. If it's acerola cherry mm-hmm. and camu camu, right, which are these high concentrate vitamin C foods, and you have to take at least three capsules just for your vitamin C. I'm like, okay, and yeah. it's organic i buy yeah. my company right so i'm taking 70 supplements a day um i started using ozone sauna
0: mm-hmm. um Love i'm getting ozone, ozone, ozone. Yes, yeah.
1: i'm getting yes. lymphatic massage mm-hmm. as we talked about earlier um and and i want to say that the biggest uh the biggest thing i was doing coffee enemas and coffee enemas uh essentially what it does uh and i'm not a doctor but it is um and a lot's been put out there to put all these natural practices down and say they're quackery and they don't work and all Mm -hmm. of that. Um, But coffee enema, essentially, it it stimulates bile production in your liver. I mentioned that chemo causes liver toxicity, which then leaks into your blood and and Mm -hmm. your organs and everything else, right? So your liver is your filter. And if you can detox your liver from the chemo, you're going to heal and you're going to not have those side effects nearly as much, right? So I'm taking milk thistle as a supplement, right? Organic milk, milk thistle seed um, and doing three coffee enemas a week to release that bile and detoxify my liver. Um, the doctors were amazed once again, kind of like the walking again thing, how, I, yeah. how quickly I healed. Um, I kept wanting to get off chemo, but they kept saying like, you need to do all eight cycles because there are remnants of cancer that could be hiding in your body. Mm-hmm nobody could tell me otherwise it was like it was such a you know i kept trying to can i get off now can i get off now can i get off now i ended up only doing seven of the eight cycles because my body was so weak i started out at 167 pounds within three weeks i weighed 127 pounds lost 40 pounds of course every hair on my body i was bald i looked sickly my teeth were yellow i mean it was it was it was not not you know not fun um but i uh for anyone listening again the point is this your doctor's unless you are lucky and you get a rare doctor that actually is a holistic, you know, oncologist. Um, from my experience and I've seen multiple oncologists, I always ask them the same questions. What about this? How about food? How about coffee? And mm-hmm. how about, they don't know anything about it. That's not what they trained. They were trained in prescribing drugs and that is about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, my point is do your own research. Do not give up your life to your doctor's. You need to take 100 percent responsibility for your life, for your health, and this goes with financial advisors for your financial situation. Mm-hmm. Right? You got to learn. You got to research. You got to take it into your own hands. And so, if you're going to do chemo, I get it, but please research and do every holistic practice that's available. And I'll, I'll just share one resource that my 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 hub to learn that was a website: Chris C I C H R I S Chris Beat cancer.com guy named Chris work. He had stage four cancer. They said, if you don't do chemo, you're going to be dead in a few months. He said, I'm not doing chemo. I'm curing this naturally. He's been alive for 10 years and his life is dedicated to interviewing holistic doctors and sharing what they do and what he did with millions of people. And he literally has an audience of millions of people now. Um, but Chris beat cancer was like my hub. Cause I'm like, okay, right. he's done all the research. Mm-hmm. I'm rather than me shotgun approach. I'm going to look at him and I'm going to listen to his interviews. I'm going to read his, his recipes on and on and on. And, and, and by the way, he did say um, from his, the doctors he's interviewed in his experience that, that coffee enemas, were arguably, if he had to pick one holistic practice, that that was the single most effective practice to heal from cancer and prevent cancer, because the, the toxins in our food and our supplements, and you know the the they they get stored in the liver and then it leaks out and it, they, they form cancer. And he mm-hmm. said, if you can keep. Detoxing your liver, mm-hmm. then you are much less likely to get cancer. So I did three coffee enemas a week when I had cancer, and now I do it every Saturday, Sunday, and I love them. Now the first one I did was super uncomfortable, super awkward, um, but now it's like a meditate. I love it every Saturday and Sunday. It's one of my favorite parts of my weekend. Other than hanging out with the family, is I go in my bathroom floor, I lay on this comfortable quilt, and I do my fifteen minute coffee enema, and I like just meditate. And actually, I use it as an opportunity. It's an anchor. I just, I, I just. Imagine all of my cells being completely healed. I just, you know, I I pray, I meditate, I visualize living to be 100 years old with my family. And right, it's Mm -hmm. so it's a beautiful, yeah. So coffee enemas went from being really uncomfortable to like favorite part of my week. Yeah.
0: So we just went from like cancer to chemo to holistic to coffee enemas. Coffee Coffee in your butt. Yeah. yeah. Just to be clear. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I fully support holistic approaches in anything. And I also am a firm believer that we are 100% responsible. We can't stop what happens to us. We can't, we don't have control over other people's behaviors or actions and then how they impact us. However, we do have control over the here and now and the us. Yeah. And I feel like that's a huge um, backbone of miracle morning. It's almost like the foundational underlying unsent principle is like, okay, your life might feel like shit right now, but here's something yep. you can do, and yep. you have control over this. I want to go back into the part about learning to feel. Okay. And learning to really feel the depths of your emotions, because I, I'm going to tell you like, I watched your documentary. And again, like I know your story, I know you, but you share a lot in the Miracle Morning movie and a lot of pieces of you and your life that I think aren't as front facing and public. And there there were these parts that you were talking in the hospital about, like I'm doing my Miracle Morning practice every day. You have clips of you with your dad making juice, like you're doing all these things that you have control over. But then there's these really real moments of, and, and I accept that this is a possibility. Yeah. And for so many people, it's hard to hold on to both. Yeah. You know, the accepting, again, the accepting of what is, no matter how horrific, because it's horrific, and the possibility of what could be. But the possibility of what could be is also like this thing that you can you don't have full control over, but you can be responsible sure. for this piece yeah doesn't mean that it's gonna get you exactly where you want to go, but i'm I I can do this yeah, it's so hard for people to hold both and I want to hear more about how you danced in those two spaces of like the reality of what is hooked into a chemo machine 20 to 30 percent chance of living and well I'm going to take responsibility for what I can take responsibility for it's a lot
1: yeah yeah um and and I will I mean the miracle morning I doubled down on it during cancer and the you know I created the miracle morning in 2008 when I was I had, you know, the economy crashed. Mm-hmm. I lost over half my income. And I think it's important to talk about because right now we're in, in arguably in the next very recession, similar. right? Yeah. yeah. Which could be worse. Mm-hmm. Might be the same, you know, similar might be planned. Um, yeah. know.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> she said the loud for the, the quiet part out loud. Yeah, <laughs> might be planned. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. We're we are a hundred percent on the same page. But anyway, so <laughs> moving on to um, the, uh, so the miracle morning. I started it when I was at rock bottom financially. And, 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 you know, you mentioned it, like the, the book being organic, like it wasn't a book idea. It wasn't like, Ooh, what's a hot topic morning yeah. routine. Let me right? just put
0: together this formula. Totally. In, yeah.
1: It was, it was literally like 100% organic. And, um, and, uh, and this is, you know, this is tying in the miracle morning to how I did what you're asking me. Um, but the, uh, so the economy crashed and I crashed with it and I lost over half of my income and I, my house was foreclosed on and I was just, I was just, I was drowning, drowning in debt, drowning in hopelessness because I just, I was, I was like sinking. Like I kept losing client after client after client when I already couldn't pay the mortgage. And it was like, you know, and then nothing I was doing to try to get more clients was working. And I just was seeing nothing but like hopelessness and um, a series of events led me to a Jim Rohn quote. And this one quote changed everything. It was the catalyst for the miracle morning. He said, your level of success and fulfillment in every area of your life will never exceed your level of personal development. And I had probably heard it before as some people Mm -hmm. listening might have, but here's how it landed for me. I kind of quantified it. I went, oh, wait a minute, what does he mean by that? If I'm measuring my level of success and fulfillment in any area of my life, I want level 10. We right. all do, right? It's, it's like, you want your life to be as good as it can be. You want to be as healthy as you can be and wealthy as you can be. You want your marriage to be as thriving as it can be. You want to have as much energy as you can, right? Like if you're measuring on a scale of one to 10, if I was a genie, I was like, Hey, what area, what do you want in terms of this or that? You go, dude, I want level 10. Like I want to be as happy as I could be. Right. And, you know, and then I asked myself, okay, well, if my level of Success and fulfillment will never exceed my level of personal development. What's my level of personal development? I want level 10 success and fulfillment. And at that time, and I think this is, I think this is the disconnect for like most of our society. Mm-hmm. I went, my level of personal development is like at a two or a three. Mm-hmm. And let me kind of define that. If you're like, well, what does that mean? If someone's listening, like what's your, what is personal development? How do you define that? Um, to me, it's who you are as a person, who you're, you know, who you've developed yourself to be or are developing yourself to be. So it's your beliefs, it's your overall mindset, right? Mm-hmm. It's your confidence level. It's your habits, right? Where are those, right? Mm-hmm. You know. So if you want level 10 health, well, your level of personal development would be like, what, how are you learning? What are you learning about? Yeah. What are you applying? It's also like
0: the relationship with self, right? Like we talk so much about relationships with other people, with our businesses, with, with our success, but it's like the real root of personal development, spiritual development, inner work, yeah. deep work, that's all... Done from a relationship, cultivating that relationship to self, deepening that relationship to self, getting to know who you are beyond the societal um, paradigms, the the values that were subject uh, or that you were subjected to, and really uncovering who you you actually are, yeah, Yeah. underneath, yeah, which most
1: of us are just an assortment of all the right, yeah,
0: we're just clones,
1: yeah, Yeah, exactly, yeah, (laughs) you were pieces of our parents, and you know, why do you believe the religion you believe? because my mom and dad, exactly. right? Like, you know, like, or why do you, I mean, why are you political party? Well, because, right. Like, it's like, yeah. have you ever thought on your own? Right. Maybe there's, yeah. Anyway, so I don't know if this is appropriate, but it just, it came through me just now. So the other day, this came through me when I was, I was taking notes and it was, remember where we were because we did back, but I was thinking about politics yeah. and I was thinking about like, if someone's like, you know, you know, Biden's the right guy or Trump's the right guy or whatever. Um, I was like, that's like arguing, like what's better for you? Like, burger king or mcdonald's
0: exactly <laughs> right
1: neither have your best interest in mind
0: mm-hmm.
1: right from a, as corporations and as entity they are all looking out for what's best for them they're all there's financial interest right yeah, so it's like it just it's just yeah. like paradigm shift of like if you're arguing who's better right you need to back up and get a little more meta with no that. and that,
0: that's why it's like it again personal responsibility sovereignty yeah relationship with self yeah. this is where it begins
1: yeah Totally. Yeah, so so 2008, so my level of personal development is at like a two or a three. Right. And, I, and like imagine the disconnect, right? If you just, you know, like I'll, when I'm speaking, I'll put one hand up top, right? This is level 10 success up here. Here's my level of personal development, level two down here. And that's the disconnect. Mm-hmm. This is what I want, but this is who I am and what I'm capable of creating and sustaining in my life, right? And so the epiphany was, I've got to go research what the world's most successful people do for personal development, and I need to do that. And I went home and I just Googled, you know, best personal development practices. What do millionaires do for personal growth and development? You're right on. And I, I'm looking for like the one the, I'm like, well, I got to figure out the best one and do that. And I have a list of six practices, right? And none of them were new, which you kind of mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them had a bad rap, like right. the affirmations had a bad rap. Like right. I am... I am
0: delusional. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. And then also I watched did you ever watch Stuart Smalley on Saturday Night Live? Yes. Right? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, yeah. and doggone it, people like me. So like my <laughs> idea of affirmations were goofy. Yeah. Um but I'm re- I've got this list of six practices, and they were all very compelling the way that I came upon them. Like, for example, I read an article called Fortune 500 CEOs who swear by meditation. And at that point in my life, I was probably twenty, I don't know, mid-20s, I thought I always thought meditation was like woo woo. Like I pictured Mm -hmm. a monk in a monastery, but these CEOs are like, this is how we got our best ideas to grow the company, right? Make money, and I'm like, at that point, I'm just struggling financially, so I'm like, I got to meditate. And then I saw an interview with Will Smith pre Chris Rock slap, right? Mm -hmm. His name has a different effect on people when you say it now, but this was when Will Smith was the man, right? And uh, Ellen DeGeneres was interviewing him and said, "Hey, how everything you touch, you're like you're you're a successful." TV star. You're a successful movie star. You're a successful musician. How did you become so successful growing up in middle-class family in Philly? And he said, uh, I'm paraphrasing, but he essentially said, I learned affirmations when I was 15 years old. And he said, I wrote affirmations in a very specific way where I affirmed what I wanted in my life. Then I affirmed who I needed to be and what I needed to do to move toward that. And he said, I read those affirmations every day and I just lived in alignment with them. I literally became them. And then what do you know? I ended up where I affirmed I was gonna end up by becoming the person I needed to be to get there, right? Mm -hmm. And the way he described it, I'm like, this is just what Jim Rohn said. Your level of success Mm -hmm. will not exceed your level of personal development, who you become, right? And so I'm like, I gotta do affirmations.
0: By the way, his book- did Will? you read it? Did you read it?
1: No. And I, I oh. bought it on audible. Do I heard it's the, amazing. Yes, do the audible. I heard it's amazing.
0: So good. I've
1: heard it. Yeah. John Broman said so, it's like the so, best. So good. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. I decided to listen to it. Now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, on the way back home. I'm going yeah. to listen. Um, so I, um, uh, so I'm like, I'm looking at these six practices and I'm trying to, I'm trying to compete with which one's better. And the other struggle I was dealing with is God, none of these are new. Right. And we've been conditioned as a society that we need the new program. Ooh, I mean, that's how marketers work, right? Like right. they rename something, they repackage something, which arguably that's what I did with the Miracle Morning. At least, really mm-hmm. You know, kind of repackaging, but it's deeper than that. And I think you get that. We'll talk about it. But, um, but so ultimately I'm looking at the six and I go, which one's the best? I don't, I don't know. And I almost, I literally, I remember sitting on my couch with my computer on, my, on the coffee table and I'm literally like, this is not going to, mind. And then thank God, I think it was the voice of God, right? Like literally yeah. thank God. It was like, Hal, what if instead of picking one of these, what if you did all six of them tomorrow? Mm-hmm. What if you woke up an hour earlier and you just allocated 10 minutes for all of each each of the six? And I went, dude, that would be the ultimate personal development ritual. That would be literally the six most timeless proven personal development practices that the world's most successful people across all walks of life have sworn by for centuries. Oh, my God. Like, And I got excited. And keep in mind, I was depressed at that point. Mm-hmm. And there's levels of depression, too. I want to be sensitive to that because when I was depressed in 2020, after that sleeplessness, I was suicidal depressed. I was right. trying to plan my death and, and see if I could not hurt my kids and kill myself. I was not that depressed in 20, 2008. But was, at the
0: same time, in 2008, mm, that was like the most depressed you ever, ever experienced. So you didn't have the other reference. It's point.
1: very true. Yeah, thank you. Great point. Yeah. yeah no, it was very... It was... It was, I thought about killing myself at that in 2008. I remember I'm saying, I just wanted to end. And I realized that too, when we, people that are suicidal, mm-hmm. I've been suicidal, right? It's, you don't want to actually want to die. You just don't want to feel the way you're feeling. Anymore, exactly. Right. That's it. That's literally yes. it, you know, and you don't see another way. And here's, what's powerful about the miracle morning is so that night I feel like a kid on Christmas Eve, right? I was so excited. I wasn't depressed every, every night up until that point for six months, it was like every night, like that was my only escape was like, I get to sleep for eight hours. Mm -hmm. Oh God, I got to wake up and do it again tomorrow. (laughs) You know, and I'd wait till the last minute to wake up. I'd snooze three times that night. I go to bed, excited alarm goes off. It was one of those, you know, like, um, when you are excited to wake up, like it's almost like what opens first, you know, what goes off first, Do your eyes open or the alarm. It's almost like, it's like mm-hmm. you like, you're like alarms. Like you just, they open yeah. like right before Right. And so I wake up, I'm excited. I go in the living room the night before I had Googled. Cause I didn't really know how to do any of these things. I had Googled how to meditate. I had six tabs open, how to do visualization, how to do affirmations, how to journal, right? Like I had the whole thing open and I go through and I'm like, i you know, five minutes for each of the ten is spent reading. And then five minutes actually, Meditating and then five minutes reading and five minutes doing affirmations. So it was like a really subpar morning routine. Right. But at the end of it, for the first time in six months, I had hope. Mm -hmm. I went, if Jim Rohn's right, I think he's right. If I start every day like this with this much clarity and energy and learning something new and applying it, it's only a matter of time before I go from being a level two person, level two version of myself, to a three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Oh it's inevitable. If I continue to get better every single day and I don't stop, how could I not become the person that I need to be to turn my life around? Mm -hmm. And so, now I was thinking it would take a year because I I thought the compound effect, 1% better every day. And and Ruby, in less than two months, and I want to share this, I want to highlight, this was in the height of the 2008 recession. Mm -hmm. This was when the economy was getting worse and worse and worse. But I was getting better and better and better and in less than two months i more than doubled my income even though the economy got worse i went from being in the worst shape of my life physically i had an exercise i had canceled my gym membership six months before when the money was bad i had and i was doing nothing i was in desperation mode i had my body fat percentage had tripled in those six months from 5.7 percent to 17 um and i was depressed in less than two months i doubled my income uh I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically to committing to run a fifty-two mile ultra marathon, because—and this is an interesting distinction—I hated running. Mm-hmm. And when I was assessing what does a level ten look like in every area of my life, right? I was like, physically, if I—if I—I've if never run more than a mile, and that was only when it was required in PE class. If I could run fifty-two miles yeah. in one day, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that's like, but I'm just going to commit to it publicly, and I'm going to commit to a charity. Like I'm going to make it so public that I can't back out or I look like a total jerk, you know, mm-hmm. like total labor. And so committed to that, started training for it. And my depression, it didn't take two months to go away. It started going away on day one because mm-hmm. hopelessness is one of the biggest causes mm-hmm. of depression. When you lose hope, I was like, I'm hopeful every day. I'm more hopeful. Mm-hmm. I'm more hopeful, more hopeful. And here's, here's how the book got titled. It wasn't called the miracle morning. I went to my wife. I literally, I can remember the moment. She's coming out of the bedroom. I'm going in, I'm, I'm down the hall and we meet and I go, sweetie, I just signed up another coaching client. She's like, oh, congratulations. I'm like, that's two clients today. I said, we've officially doubled our income in the last two months, all because of this morning routine. It feels like a freaking miracle. And she goes, it's your miracle morning. Uh. I go, I I love that. that I like that. She's so smart. She's the muse. She also yeah. we might get to that. She named the savers too. I, she's, I love you know that, that story. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm like I love that. So in my schedule up until that point every day it was just f- personal development at five a. That's all right. And I, I the next day I put I crossed it out. Miracle morning. Miracle morning. Miracle morning. A couple weeks later, um my coaching client Katie she said, "How I keep reading about morning routines. Do you have a morning routine?" And I'm just like chomping it, I'm like, oh my God, yes, I'm doing this thing, I call it the miracle morning, it's the six-pack practice, right? I'm like, she's like, okay, I'm, I'm gonna try it. And so she comes back two weeks later, and she's like, Hal, oh my gosh, I had the best two weeks in my sales career, I started reading again, I started running again, I've never been a morning person in my entire life, I, I think I'm a morning person. And then I'm like, I gotta tell the rest of my clients. So I tell all my, cl- I had 14 clients at that time, I tell all 14 of them, 13 out of the 14 came back to the next call saying, like Katie. Oh my gosh, it works. I'm doing it. I'm waking up. I did what you said. I moved the alarm clock. I gave him some logistical tips on how to beat that snooze button. And that's when I went, wait a minute. If this miracle morning changed my life in two months, Mm -hmm. in the middle of the recession, and I'm not a morning person, it did it for Katie. It's doing it for my clients. This could change the world. Like this could change anybody's life. I have a responsibility to share this. And Mm -hmm. that's when I started writing the miracle morning and you know three years later it was self-published and this and that so that's that's how the practice started and then any questions on that then i want to fast forward to cancer and no let's
0: let's fast forward to cancer um of course everyone listening and watching if you have yet to read miracle morning just grab a copy okay the link is in the show notes watch the documentary the link is in the show notes yeah
1: and if um, I can say miracle morning.com, we just read yes. the homepage. The documentary is like
0: right there, right there.
1: Yeah. The, the app is free, mm-hmm. the movie, you know I mean? Yeah. yeah. The books are And then are there, you can that. even
0: see like in the community, how many people have, I mean, you can literally read real life experiences. So that, and now let's fast forward yeah. to the cancer and how you're able to hold both the, the two polarities of like what it is that you're going through.
1: Yeah. So for me, the, the, the practice of the miracle morning that I believe is the most effective, and it's the one I was most skeptical about when I started, is affirmations. Mm. Um, but I, sometimes I get asked like, do you have a favorite of the savers? And, and, and I don't think we covered, real quick, silence. So meditation became silence. This was my wife's idea. like Which for, I
0: like better because yeah. even, oh, yeah. even like breath when I, work. I mean. Right, whatever, prayer. Yep, be- yep. Because meditation for people, especially with anxiety, uh, meditation can actually create more anxiety. Mm, totally. Whereas like breath work or prayer, speaking to God, whatever it is, yeah. like that can actually help.
1: Yeah, and guided meditations calm. always yeah, guided my guided are great. Yeah, right, because yeah, if you're like yeah, like my mom, even she's amazing, but she's like, I've tried meditating, I can't do it. But right? yeah. you know, I'm like, mom, you can, but I'm like, li- I'm like, have you ever done a guided meditation? This was literally the other day. She's like, no, and I was like, start there. Mm-hmm. Have someone. You literally no anxiety. You just they will guide you, right? So, yeah. um, but yeah, silence affirmations visualization exercise reading and scribing which was originally journaling so thanks to my wife's help she's like you should get thesaurus and find other words you can like make an acronym so people remember it i'm like brilliant so meditation became silence you know journaling became scribing so so affirmations people ask me like do you have a favor to the savers and like the politically correct answer would be like no they're all equally important Um, that may be true and I've surveyed our community some people are like my favorite visualization my favorite journaling my favorite whatever Um, but affirmations here's why they're my favorite uh, for me I'm pr- it, it, I'm very a practical results-oriented person and I think you you alluded to that a little bit earlier mm-hmm. with like these practices some might go like dude come on woo woo meditation yeah. affirmations are phony blah blah people blah, just blah.
0: like tell you like go meditate like this will change your life but then they're okay and yeah. Yeah. what do you mean I don't know what to do from here and I, I actually don't feel better and y- there's just no context yeah. and there's no relatability yeah. and I feel what you bring is the context and the relatability
1: I've, I've realized that is, that's my, I don't know if I have like a, a, like a skill, it's taking complex, esoteric, hard to grasp concepts and then making them super practical and actionable. Mm-hmm. And I realized that when I was in Cutco in sales, um, I was really good at getting referrals. My manager's like, how are you doing this? And like, I told him the one, like, well, I do this. Then then this. he's like, dude, that's, can you put that in? I made like a one page handout. Right taught it to our people. And then boom, boom, boom. Everybody's getting the same results. So anyway, so with the savers, right? It's like um, affirmations. Here's the way I teach them. It's actually Will Smith gets a lot of credit because I kind of took what he, he shared them in a slightly different way. And, um, but for me, you literally in writing, articulate the blueprint for what you want, what you're committed to, why it's a must for you and what you're going to do to achieve it. And then it's just a matter of affirming that every day. Iterating as needed, right? If you learn something new that you want to apply or you make a change. But here's the three steps. So I might as well give, mm-hmm. if you're listening right now, these are the three steps that I apply to affirmations. And this is how I maintain both those ideas is in writing. It's very hard to maintain an idea, especially if it's a new idea or a new paradigm or a new concept mm-hmm. in your head floating around, bouncing around with all your old beliefs, your limiting beliefs, the old paradigm, like that it's, it's nearly impossible, right? Mm-hmm. The only way to elevate your consciousness is through daily or at least consistent conditioning, right? So if you want to elevate your consciousness, you want to see the world in a better way, you want to be happier, you want to be more peaceful, you've got to articulate it in writing and read it every single day. And I'll give you the three steps on how to articulate it in writing, but, and consistently You are reprogramming your neural pathways to Mm -hmm. think, feel, see things in a different light. And one day you'll look back and kind of like the five-minute rule. On day one, it was like, no way, dude. My paradigm says it takes me a lot longer than five minutes, usually five hours or five days to get over something. Mm -hmm. Within two weeks of doing it, oh, I could get over it in five seconds. Like, and if you're listening, I want you to think about how profound that difference is. Mm -hmm. And anything you're listening right now, biggest one is I'm not a morning person, Hal. Like, I don't think I could do this. Not for me. I, once I surveyed, somebody asked me on an interview, what percentage of the Miracle Morning community were already morning people? So this was easy, Mm -hmm. right? They just were like, oh, instead of checking email, I'll do the savers. And he said, what percentage were like, I've never been a morning person in my life. And they actually overcame it. And now they do the miracle morning every day. I was like, God, that's such a good quote. I, like, I should know that. So I surveyed our community, which at the time was probably like in the hundred, it, you know, it wasn't millions, but hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of people. Um, it was significant. And 72% of people said they never thought they could be a morning person until they read the miracle morning. Yeah. And now they do it five, six, seven days a week, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so here's the three steps for affirmations. Step one, affirm what you're committed to. So, and I'm going to tell you what my cancer affirmation said, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, affirm what you're committed to, uh, in life, we don't get what we want just cause we want it. Mm-hmm. You know, we all want to be wealthy and healthy and happy, right? You get what you're committed to period, right? That's it. Either you're committed or you're not. And when every day you affirm, I am committed to blank, no matter what, there is no other option. And if you're listening right now and you're taking notes, that is the template that I use in my affirmations. I am committed to blank and blank insert the activity, the habit, the daily, right? Uh, You know, I'm committed to the miracle morning every day. Um, Insert the outcome, I'm committed to, you know, like for me, when I wrote the miracle morning, I'm committed to change one million lives one morning at a time for for as long as it takes. And I tried to do it in a year, it took me six, right? But whatever, I was committed. And if I wasn't committed, after one year of giving it everything I had, I only sold 13,000 copies, I was 98.7% short of my goal. If I wasn't affirming that I was committed, to do everything in my power, no matter what, there's another option, I would have given up. Mm-hmm. Like, like, don't miss that, everybody. Like, that seems overly simple. Yeah. Like, so what, you just write down that you're committed to something? Yeah, and then you read it every day with conviction and then you actually live in alignment with that affirmation. And then all of a sudden, it becomes easier and easier and easier and you actually go from saying you're committed but not feeling it on day one to kind of, middle, you're like, I'm kind of committed. Like I'm, I'm doing the things. I mean, right? And then all of a sudden, after a month or so, you're fully committed.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: every fiber of your being and it's unconscious. You don't even think about it. That power of just step one. I'll go through the steps and then I'll run my my cancer through them. Step two, affirm why it's a must for you. and And, and, and use language that resonates with you. So, it, instead of why it's a must for you, maybe it, maybe it means more to you to, to affirm why it's deeply meaningful for mm-hmm. you, right? Why, why it's, it's important. important. Why mm-hmm. right? You use words that work for you, right? But why it's important to you, right? Why is it a must? Um, you know, Simon Sinek, you know, made that popular. That mm-hmm. start with why we do what we we have to have the why. Mm-hmm. That's what will fuel the what. Well, I'm committed to this, but if you don't know why I'm committed to becoming a millionaire, right? Why? Why? It's like, well, I mean, because then I could like buy stuff and right? that's not going to drive you. Right. When you hit roadblocks and obstacles, you're going to be like, eh, I don't need a million bucks. Mm-hmm. I'm doing pretty good. Right. But if you're like, I'm going to be a millionaire so I can donate $500,000 to charity or $100,000 to charity and, and give my wife, let her stop working. And so she can take care of our kids full time. So we're not so stressed over money all the time so that I can provide financial freedom for, right. You know, like, dude. That's what's going to get you to follow through with that commitment. Mm-hmm. But without that, what? It's hollow. It is shallow, and you're probably not going to follow through. Yeah. Step three: affirm which specific actions you'll take and when. Right, and this is simple. Right, like I'm not. This isn't rocket science. You know, it's like, okay, so from what I'm committed to, that's not, that's not hard. Affirm why it's a must for me. That's not hard. And then affirm which actions I'll take and win. That's not hard. Mm-hmm. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time you affirmed those things every single day with conviction and then looked at your schedule to ensure that you were living in alignment with what you just affirmed? I would imagine for most people, it's like, I've never done that. Right. Right. And that's where the whole, I love John Roman said this recently and I think he got it from somebody else. You know, I mentioned that In our society, we're always looking for something new. Mm -hmm. I want ooh, I've never that's a new program. That's a new this, that's a new that. And he and and John said something along the lines of it's not about finding something new, it's about discovering or remembering something true.
0: Mm, I love that.
1: Right? And that's what the savers are.
0: None of them are new. Right.
1: But they've been true for decades, centuries Mm -hmm. for people. They've worked yeah. It's just about
0: um again like language is so interesting and the way that things are described and portrayed now with yeah. social media um is is it can often come across as delusional because it it's empty it's lacking depth there's something missing it's like when you're scrolling through your feed and you see someone and they're always posting the same kind of shit you're yeah. like something's a little off here like you don't trust it yeah and again, this is why I feel Miracle Morning works. Cause even I was like, mm, this sounds kind of hokey. Totally. And then I read it and I was like, okay, like there's something to this. Yeah. Um, and it's the people need to remember that their time is sacred and to cultivate to use that time wisely to cultivate a relationship with yourself before you go out and do all these relationships with others. And I think that when what you offer is a structure to be able to do that. And I think that that's what people often miss is like, well, I just need something to follow. But this isn't a to-do list that you just check off it's something to actually sit with, to be with. And that's what actually makes it the miracle. Yeah. Right. Because if you're just doing your morning rituals to check things off, which I'll have lots of clients who go through that and like, oh, I didn't do my morning rituals today. And I'm like, are you feeling disappointed because you didn't check it off a list? Yeah. Or are you actually like feeling the depletion? Yeah. And it's usually the disappointment from not checking it off a list. Yeah. It's like, well, you're not actually being present with. The, the morning rituals that you're creating. Yeah. And that's the impact the impo- it's having yes. on you. Like, and are in you, in you noticing yeah. what it's changing in you? Like what you're describing with the affirmations? Like, are you noticing how it's actually helping you create a deeper sense of commitment? You know, maybe at the beginning you weren't committed, yeah. but now you're starting to feel the commitment coming through because even just say it's like, I am committed to uh, you want to commit yourself to a gym routine, but then you start off by just saying it. You're committing yourself to saying it. Yeah. You just start to. It's like you're 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 greasing the wheels. Yeah. And you're, you're... acclimating. Yes. Yeah. And that's really important because I think people always want to jump head first and then it doesn't last. Yeah. But when you offer yourself the space to acclimate in that way, it really works. So. Cancer.
1: Yeah, yeah. So when I had cancer initially, you know, I was at peace with it. I accepted it. Doesn't mean I wasn't scared. I was going to die. I was terrified. I was going to die. And that's
0: the part that people need to understand. Yeah, you know, like you can, as you just said, I was at peace was with at it.
1: Peaceful with I can't change, right. and also scared I was going to die. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and the fear. What's interesting is to be really transparent. I wasn't afraid of dying. I, I made peace with death a long time ago. Um, and I just, since we're mentioning that, I just want to say for anybody listening, if death is a fear of yours, I want you to, I want to ask you, are, were you afraid of being born? And the answer is, pff, doesn't make sense. Of course I wasn't afraid of being born. Number one, I didn't even know. Well, maybe you knew, but uh, you think you didn't know. But, but why would, I, of course I'm afraid of being born. Then why would you be afraid of dying? Because dying is an inevitability. And it makes to me not a lot of sense to be afraid of inevitabilities it makes a lot more sense to be at peace with inevitabilities and death is just the other side of birth mm-hmm. and of course you know most of us don't know what actually is on the other side mm-hmm. I love what um Michael singer in his new book uh, he said uh, you know everyone's afraid of death he goes i'm I'm excited he goes i'm excited like because because here's the thing when I die either nothing happens and i'm just it's black forever, and but I don't know, so who cares? Like I don't, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not sitting there going, oh, I, I, wish something was happening. He's like, I won't exist anymore, so that might be the case. He's like, or something does exist, and I get to find out what it is. He's right. like, that's the great, most exciting thing ever in life is you die and you see what happens. You know, I was like I love that mindset, yeah. right? But anyway, so I was scared I was going to die for sure, and especially when I learned uh, Wayne Dyer, who I'm a mm-hmm. you know, big fan of, and I've read his books. I met him once in person, and I learned from him. And then I found out that he died of leukemia mm. and I, you know, I consider Wayne Dyer to be far more yep. evolved than I was or <laughs> that I am, you know, right. I mean, he was, you know, 70 when I, you know, when I was, when I met him and uh, I was probably 25 and anyway, so I'm going, wait a minute. If Wayne couldn't beat leukemia with all his positive mindset and meditation and affirmations, oh crap, how am I going to do it? Right. So, I mean, that like really exacerbated the yeah. fear. Um, and here's what happened. That fear did not last very long. It went away within a matter of, I'd say weeks. Uh, and and the, re- the way the reason it went away is my miracle morning and it's and particularly my affirmations. So uh, the first thing I affirmed was I'm committed to beating cancer and living to be 100 plus years old alongside Ursula and the kids, no matter what, there is no other option. Remember that I'm committed to blank, no matter what, there's no other option mm-hmm. for me. It was living to be a hundred Alongside us and the kids, no matter what, there's another option. I read that every day with such conviction that it became my reality.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It became my belief. It became the only option because I literally affirmed that it was the only option. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, and that, and that's a whole other discussion that we won't go into. But right, your subconscious doesn't know the difference between reality and vividly imagined reality. Mm-hmm. That's why when you have a nightmare and you wake up in the morning, you literally, your heart's racing, like literally your think about that. Your mm-hmm. body is reacting to an illusion
0: mm-hmm.
1: of you sleeping. So if you want to heal your body, might it react to your visualizations and your affirmations mm-hmm. and your meditation, right? It's just something to think about, you know? Yeah. That but are- again,
0: but you have to, this is the thing, what mm, you said yeah, about please. the conviction. Mm-hmm. You can't just no. read words nope. off a piece of paper. Yep. You have to read them until you actually feel them in your body i used to do those um my three-day event in la a lot and i used to call it incantations and because i like like it's like a little spell you put all over yourself and i would get people to do it but i would get them to like get up and like do say this however loudly or softly that you need to do it until you actually feel something shifting in your body that's when you know Because if you're just reading an affirmation, just reading a mantra in the mirror, but you're not actually dropping into the feeling, that's not what we're talking about here. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's next to nothing, right? right? If all you do is recite it, you know? Um, you know, Tony Robbins teaches like when the incantations, yeah. he always throws a power move in there, right? right. Like, huh, move your body, oh, yeah. right? I am powerful. I am it, right? You know, like, but it's true, right? You're mixing yeah. the physiology. And that for me is my hand is on my heart typically yes. when I'm reading something. And I do remember I would read it with like intent conviction. Like yes. sometimes I'd yell it if nobody was around, right? I'm committed to beating cancer and living to be 100 plus years old alongside Ursula and the kids, no matter what, there is no other option. Um, let me say that again. Right. I would just, you know, just like keep going. Right. You know, preach it. Right. Like that (laughs) kind of energy. Um, number two, and this is where the rubber meets the road. I feel like, well, or number three, but number two was really where, you know, you get that fuel to follow the commitment. I went, um, I had bullet points. I encourage you when you are affirming step two, which is affirm why it's a must for you or why it's important, why it's meaningful. Um, if you have more than reason, that's one reason that's great. I also believe in quality over quantity. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't like the self-help people. They're like, dude, go write a hundred reasons why you're going to achieve your goal. Right. Like, dude, you're just, it's diluted reasons. Like, yeah. uh. How about you know. just
0: one really good solid reason?
1: Well, exactly. It could be one really good <laughs> for your family, right? Yeah. But so here were mine, you know, and they, and they all could be, they could have all been one, but mm-hmm. I felt like these specific and breaking them up was important. I'm committed to beating cancer uh, for Ursula because I promised her forever and a day. I'm committed to beating cancer for Sophia and Halston because they deserve their dad's love, leadership, and guidance. I'm committed to beating cancer for my mom because she doesn't deserve to lose another child. I'm committed to beating cancer for my dad because he gave up everything to save me. I'm committed to beating cancer for myself because, damn it, I deserve to live a long, happy, healthy life. And last but not least, I'm committed to beating cancer for the millions of people who are themselves battling cancer or some other disease and may not have been blessed with the knowledge and resources that I have and can benefit from me beating this and then inspiring and empowering them to do the same. That is what I was willing to do whatever it took for mm-hmm. those reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the third step is uh, to beat cancer, I will dot, dot, dot. Uh, number one, I will do everything. Uh, I will follow Western medicine and I will maintain unwavering faith that it is healing my body. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have that affirmation, I would be living in a state of doubt that this is poisoning mm-hmm. my body. This is possibly doing more damage. I might die from the chemo. Right. Like the power of controlling your mind is invaluable, it's immeasurable, right? And so um I then affirmed I will also, in combination with chemo, to detox my body and support it, my immune system, I will do every holistic practice that I can that I can find. And then I had a list of, you know, all the things I listed earlier ozone sauna, coffee enema, 70 supplements, juicing, cleansing, you know, on and on and on and on and on, researching, reading, you know, all of these things. Um when I, I mentioned that when I first had cancer, I, I was afraid. I was afraid that I was gonna die after reciting that affirmation, those three steps, that formula, which was about a page long. I mean, it was like a full word, you know, Microsoft word print off page. It was printed by my bedside. It was in my car. It was everywhere. It was because it was my Mm -hmm. chosen reality that I was creating for myself. And, uh, I didn't have fear anymore. In fact, almost to a detriment, I didn't do anything with my will. (laughs) Like I looked back and I was like, dude, I probably, but I literally got to the point where I had replaced fear with unwavering faith so much so that dying was not even a possibility for me at that mm-hmm. point. Um, but again, like the responsible thing is the breadwinner and the I, I should have made sure the will was it, but I'm like, no, I not even look at it. Like yeah. I'm gonna live, you know? And I mean, hey, it, it, it worked, I, you know, I, um, it worked. But, um, but, and I wanna just share one point of reference. Um, I interviewed... Dr. Bernie Siegel on my podcast Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. And he is a uh, retired cancer surgeon. He has over, I think he's done over 3,000 surgeries. And he wrote a book called Love, Medicine, and Miracles, among many others. That was one of the books I read with cancer. Um, And in that book, he said that the one thing that every cancer patient that survived their cancer had in common, including those that survived cancers that statistically they should not have survived, right? He said they all had an unshakable will to live. Mm -hmm. While he saw many cancer patients that had survivable cancers that they, no problem, they should, you know, 80% chance you're going to live. He watched them mentally give up, emotionally give up, live in fear, Mm -hmm. and then die. And so his belief from, three th- from data of 3,000 cancer patients is that the single determining factor in whether or not you live or die is your mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that I explain that in layman's terms is that we have trillions of cells that make up our body and they do our bidding. Mm-hmm. If we live in fear, we're sending a message that says, hey, I think we're dying. Mm-hmm. And they go, all right, I guess that's what we're doing. But if you say, I'm committed To beating cancer i don't care what the doctors say the odds are i create my own odds there's no other option then our cells are like all right i guess that's what we're doing
0: and what's uh, i need to add this just from the trauma-informed perspective is to build the resiliency to get through challenges uh, whether it's cancer or, or any other challenge in life we need to be resourced to get through it. And that's why there are people who do get stuck in trauma states and there are people who are able to move through it. Hmm. And miracle morning is a way to resource yourself. Um, that's just from my, my yeah. lens, the way I look at it. And, um, you also had a really great community of people behind you, totally. you know, family who really supported you. And I'm sharing this just to, cause I know there's some people who are going to again, listen or watch this and be like, okay, well that's not my situation. It's yeah. like to build resilience through traumatic situations. We need to resource. We need to have resources or resource ourselves. And so if you don't have the resources around you, if you don't have the community of people cheering you on or or telling you to go for a run or like supporting you, if you don't have that, you still have the personal responsibility. And if something like Miracle Morning still feels really tough, then what if you were just to read the book and start with one? Yeah, Like you still, there is still you can still resource yourself is what I'm saying. And it's not going to feel as easy for some people as it does for others again, because it comes down from the trauma perspective perspective to resourced. How, how well resourced is this individual to be able to get through or handle what's happening? But miracle morning is a resource tool. It truly is to build resiliency exactly and the beauty of it for those who don't feel like they have community it also has a built-in community yeah
1: yeah yeah the miracle morning community is is arguably the biggest benefit of writing that book um and it's so funny it was an 11th hour thing where i the book was like the it was pretty much final draft but i could still make changes i sent it to like five of my friends i'm like hey we read that i sent to my sister for a different perspective um, and because uh, she's not in like the self help world, and my other friends were, and uh, I was like, any feedback, any ideas? And my buddy John Vroman, you mm-hmm. know John, front row dads. Yeah. he said, uh, he said, hell, do you have any kind of like community like online setup for people to like support each other? Because this mm-hmm. is kind of a lonely thing, right? They're by themselves, up early, their right. family might still be in bed, like somewhere they could tap into and ask questions, share yeah. ideas. And I was like, no, I didn't even think about that. He said, what about like a Facebook group? And I was like okay so i set up a free facebook group and now it has three hundred and forty nine thousand people in it from hundreds of countries and um or 100 plus countries but it's um it's arguably the most supportive online community i've ever Mm -hmm. seen in my life and somebody asked me about this yesterday i think it was really interesting that the miracle morning here here's so the mission of the miracle morning is to elevate human consciousness one morning at a time it's not just a cute tagline. It's literally what it is. And it, it also didn't start that way. It, that's an observation of what was happening to members of the community, people that practice the miracle morning. Mm-hmm. They were elevating their consciousness. Now, what does that mean? It's a very, you know, if you ask hundred people, what's it mean to elevate consciousness? You'd probably get five different answers and 95. Yeah. I don't even know what that means. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to make that practical for people. Um, and it, here's what it means to elevate your consciousness. It's elevating your awareness of how your thoughts, your words, and your actions impact yourself and others. That's it. Mm-hmm. As you become more aware, therefore more thoughtful, therefore more intentional about how the thoughts that you're repeatedly thinking are impacting your psychology and your biology and your behavior. You become more aware of your behavior mm-hmm. and the habits that you have in place and how they're affecting your health and your wealth and so on and so forth. And you know the words that you're speaking, how you talk, if you're complaining all the time, how does that impact me, right? Um, and elevating your consciousness, you're becoming more aware of those things. Well, as you become more aware, you develop traits like peace, inner peace, empathy, right? These are natural. And Mm -hmm. so I've seen so many people in the miracle morning community that will post. I dealt with anger my entire life. I'm on day 24 of the miracle morning and like, I'm not an angry, it's crazy. I'm not an angry person Mm -hmm. anymore. Right, these and it is so interesting how Robert Kiyosaki interviewed me for Rich Dad Poor Dad mm-hmm. or Rich Dad Radio, and he had read The Miracle Morning three times at that mm-hmm. point, which like blew my mind. And he said, um, he said, "Hal, you named the Miracle Morning correct. I think you named it correctly." He said, "Before the Miracle Morning, before you wrote that book and made up the savers, he said, every successful person on the planet, myself included, practices and swears by at least one of the savers, if not maybe two or three. He said, but I had never met anyone that did all six practices.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: he said, including myself, he said, now I do them. Every day I do the Miracle Morning. And I do the Sabres, all six. And he also said, it, you know, it was a good plug for the acronym. He goes, it works for my ADHD brain. I go, S-A-V-E. I just check yeah. them off. I go, all right, <laughs> silence. Okay, now what? Oh, yeah, affirmation, right? right. And, uh, but, he said, but he said, any one of these practices will change your life. He said, the reason I think you named the book correctly is I'm experiencing miracles in my life by doing all six. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what your community is experiencing. That's why he, you know, he had been in the, he's like, I see these people that are like, I got off my depression meds. I, I I started a business. I finally wrote a book. Like it's these, like not just subtle shifts. Like there's some pretty powerful, you Mm -hmm. know, shifts. Um, I forgot what we were talking about.
0: (laughs) The community. I mean, that's the the thing is the resourcing yourself and being resourced. Yeah. yeah. And
1: so what I realized is I, like I, I often say that the miracle morning community, if you go in there and read the Facebook post, it's like humanity at its finest. It's mm-hmm. the most loving, supportive, like empathetic, like non-judgmental community. And I really believe that when you resource yourself, mm-hmm. right when you when you focus on you, if, like, elevating your own consciousness, then that that just you show up differently. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, I realize that I'm really angry. I realize that I get triggered. Mm-hmm. I realize, like wow i'm not doing that anymore sorry y'all yeah let's just let's just support you're you're no longer
0: projecting your traumas onto the world you're not you're not projecting your shit onto everyone else because you're actually learning how to be with yourself which is the best work that we as human beings can do in this world it's why i always talk about the inner work like it's so important this needs to be the foundation of of your entire life totally is, is the only way to heal humanity is to heal ourselves yep period and if everyone were to do the work to to really focus on their own healing the world would automatically be a better place um i feel like we could talk for hours (laughs) and and we could also go down many rabbit holes holes. But that might be another conversation. Yeah, we might have to do it. Do it, do it. We might have to yeah, do it. Like, I'll come back. Part two. This yeah. one's going to be focused on the rabbit holes.
1: Totally. <laughs> what's really going yeah. on? Yeah. yeah what's in really the world?
0: going on this world? <laughs> flat Earth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that one I actually have no knowledge of, so you have to. Yeah. I
0: mean, I'm still dabbling in that, but there are some pretty compelling. There, there are things that have made me think critically. Well, about let this me whole ask you. Debate. We're not going
1: to go deep into that, okay. but I should, so. Um, yeah. Cause I, I don't like, I'm open-minded to anything, right. right? Like my, my, my mantra is like, I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, I especially don't know what, you look at yeah. the
0: last, what, three years now? Oh yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. hello.
1: Yeah. That woke us did, up to. Oh, did I ever they, think I was going to live as in, as in it, Texas? Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 Well, and it really, re- like, I really, like I watched the movie, the matrix now and I'm like, yeah. Oh, so this is like a now, documentary. Right? <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> um, but, uh, but over oh, but the flat earth. But so here's my point is like, if you go high enough in a, in a hot air balloon, you can see the curvature of the earth. So that's my, I'm like, that, yeah, that to but, me is like.
0: But then also, well, <laughs> also when you're looking at like the horizon, it's flat. And then why can't people travel to Antarctica? Hmm.
1: I don't hmm. Know. All right. do All right. Yeah. Another, Anyways. I need to do. The, if, the last
0: thing. I'm not this or that. I'm yeah, not yeah. like you're globe like, or I'm just, just like curious. You're, you're curious. Because yeah, at yeah, this that's point. The, that's like, always the best place to be. I don't believe anything.
1: Stop making your mind up people. What was that
0: Jim Carrey uh. movie? Um the one where he's living in a, a world, but he's being controlled
1: Truman show. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Like
0: this could just be one giant. Hey, yeah,
1: yeah, Truman yeah, yeah. Show. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's not, it's not too far um,
0: off. So we covered a lot of ground yeah. and I'd love for you to leave our viewers and listeners with like just one potent truth for today's conversation. Mm, just I got, one.
1: I got one. I got one. Oh, um, so, it's partly because of our, I think it's mostly because of our society and the societal programming that we all have grown up with and, and, and still entertain today. Um, but most of us, uh, are not where we want to be in our lives. Right. And, and you can, you could, That applies to a lot of different contexts, right? I I, I really want to find love. I want to be more money. I want to have more followers. I want to, you know, I I wish I was, and we often look at other people that are further along and we go, gosh, I want to be where they are, but I'm not. So A, we're resisting reality and creating emotional pain by Mm -hmm. not just being at peace with where we are right? We're creating feelings of inadequacy by comparing ourselves to a future point or another person that's further along, right? We're just basically screwing ourselves up all over the place, right? And that's how we go through life perpetually. It goes back to that Fitch Nand hat, whatever the guy's name was, quote that we're really good at planning to live. We're not very good at living, right? Um, And so here's one of the greatest pieces of wisdom that I ever adopted into my way of thinking, which is that wherever you want to be in your life, when you finally get to the point that you want to, that you've wanted to be at the point you've been working so hard for, for so long, you finally finish that book. You finally find the love of your life, whatever it is, when you finally get there and it might take a hell of a lot longer than you think it's going to, you will always look back and realize, Oh, it was supposed to take this long. Mm -hmm. The timing is perfect. And all that stress I felt, Every freaking day for the last five, six, seven years. What a waste of my life. What a waste of energy. So, if you can adopt that paradigm, the way to apply it is to wake up every day and maintain a healthy, peaceful sense of urgency to do what you need to do today to move you forward where you want to go, loving every moment mm-hmm. of today. While you, So you're at peace with where you are while you wake up and maintain urgency and take action to get where you want to go. Another mm-hmm. way of saying it is love the life you have be at peace with what you, where you are while you move in the direction that you want to go. But yeah, that's it. Because again, you, you look back, you're like, oh why did I waste? And I think that's, I think that's what's going to happen Ruby at the end of my life. Our lives. I think we're going to look back like life is going to happen. There's going to be good shit and bad shit and terrible shit mm-hmm. and awesome shit. There's going to be all of it. It's all going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right? But like I said, you know, the miracle life is you get to choose how you experience every moment. And I believe that we're going to look back at the end of our lives, and every moment that we wasted fretting over something that we couldn't change, being angry, being upset, resisting reality, we're going to go again. What a waste of life! I could have enjoyed every moment, mm-hmm. even the painful ones.
0: Right? By even being the present. By with being it.
1: present. Yeah. By embracing this moment is the best moment of my life because it's the only moment of my life I might as well enjoy it I can enjoy the pain I can enjoy the sadness I can actually be so peaceful so present to whatever the experience is that I can call it perfect Mm -hmm. and exactly what's serving my highest good in this moment
0: yeah beautiful thank you Hal for being here thank you for for being here in person
1: <laughs> i'm so grateful to be in person
0: i'm so grateful for our continued and always evolving friendship because yeah. it has been a while yeah now yeah. i'm so grateful that we're both in austin now and we get to hang out and i'm um, just really really honored to know you and it, what you're bringing to the world is such a gift yeah and who you're thank being you. in this world is such a gift And so I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much.
1: I received that and I would be remiss if I didn't say ditto because uh, (laughs) for everybody listening, we're sitting here because I reached out to you. Like I follow you on social and you're brilliant. And I'm always like showing Ursula, look at Ruby. Like she's speaking the truth. Like I'm (laughs) like, I'm so proud of your boldness and your courage, you know, and you're honoring your values and your integrity. Um, And you posted uh, something and I'm just like, I text you a screenshot. I'm like, I freaking love this. I want you on my podcast, and so I invited you on my podcast. Right. And you're like, you come on my podcast. So you're coming on like next week. I think yeah. So uh, no. So I just really want to honor you and uh, and who you are and how you're showing up. So everything you just said, I receive it. I'm not deflecting it. Yes. But I am also reciprocating it because I I really admire you, and uh, and and the potent leader that you've become.
0: Thank you. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Potent Truth, where I am taking you on a journey to challenge illusion and lead with sovereignty. Watch the Miracle Morning movie, have the Kleenex box ready, and be sure to grab a copy of the Miracle Morning book at www.miraclemorning.com. I also highly encourage you, as someone who has done this herself, I highly encourage you to try out Miracle Morning for 30 days straight. It will create shifts in your life. I have done this, experienced it myself. There's a reason why millions of people are doing this around the world. And of course, if you have yet to grab a copy of my book, head to potentleadership.com and grab yours today. You can also download Potent Leadership on Audible. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to download a few episodes that drop a rating and review on iTunes and connect with me and Hal on social. My handle is at IamRuby and you can find Hal on Instagram at Hal underscore l Rod and on Facebook at Yo Pal Hal. Those links and more will be in the show notes. Um, you can also text hashtag potent truth to 17813360160 to start receiving weekly potent reminders. Thank you so much for being part of the Potent Truth movement. Make sure you check back on Monday for a brand new episode of Potent Truth. Aho leaders.